Hello all of you wonderful people out there. Welcome to another episode of Black and White Reviews. My name is Will. And my name is Lee. And today we are going to be discussing the 1998 film The Truman Show, starring Jim Carrey, Laura Linney. Linney? Linney? That's how you pronounce yep. your name? Linney. Linney, thank you. Laura Linney. Uh, <laughs> Noah Emmerich, Nastasha Mick. Okay, El- that's that's not me. That's not Miguel- me. That's my Miguel class. Hunt. Huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> Natasha, what are you saying? Natasha. Uh huh. McElhorn. Natasha. McElhorn. 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 Yeah, this. <laughs> Holland Taylor and Ed Harris. Whatever. That actually yep. wasn't me tr- accidentally mispronouncing her name. There was a glare in my glasses. So. Ah, sorry okay. about that. Good one. Yeah. Anyways, um, <laughs> yeah. So, the Truman Show. Um, the Truman Show. So I think I saw this movie when it came out. I actually think I saw this in theaters back in 98 when it like first mm. came out. Um, and even at the, well, how old was I when that movie came out? I was probably like 12 or 13 years old. And even then, I absolutely adored it. This movie is amazing from, from top to bottom. I really don't have anything negative to say about it. It has a lot of meta um, behind it about television and just commentary on what it means to be in front of a camera um child stars Mm. and a lot of what can be you know interpreted today is like the boom of like the reality show that happened like 10 12 years ago and just how it dominates everything that you see on television today i can completely understand where you know the mentality of like that comes from so yeah for me this is just to get out of the way this movie for me is a huge huge thumbs up and this movie came out before sunshine of the spotless mind and Going back and mm. watching this all over again, I can absolutely see why Jim Carrey would want to stretch his wings a little bit. He's he in, mm. in this movie, he's still got that physical comedy thing going on a little bit, like he's shedding that a lot. But he, it's still right. an unbelievable job for a comedian to go from things like what was he doing, like Liar Liar or Ace Ventura in the Mask, to jump from those movies to this is like night and day. And he did a really good job right. in this film. Like from, mm-hmm. his performance is absolutely amazing. Um, your thoughts? Yeah, I believe this was the year. Was this the year right after Liar Liar? I think. I think ninety seven. Liar Liar came out. I think either either late ninety six, early ninety seven, somewhere in there. Yeah, it was ninety seven. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember when it came out and thinking it was amazing. And I was probably like 9, 10. Yeah, so that makes sense. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah, so the Truman Show for me, I, I, don't, I can't tell you when I saw it. Um, I remember when it came out. Um, I definitely remember when it was coming out. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But it was like, back then if I saw a trailer, no matter who was in it, if I wasn't interested, I wouldn't see it. And at that time in my life, I wasn't interested in a movie that was not so much straight up a comedy. Right. You know, I was into, I mean, geez, 1998, I was still, I was still like stuck on Austin Powers getting ready for the second one. And, you know, like I, I had my, that time my life was very, I wouldn't say typecasted, but I was very like, um, my, um, like my desires, my things I was into at the time were very simple. You know, it was like, it needs to be funny. I need to laugh at it. It needs to be something within my realm that I'm comfortable with. So anything that was like, that had like a dramatic tone, uh, besides Forrest Gump, you know, which was one of my favorite movies of that age still, um, I wasn't really interested. Right. So when, when I first saw this, 
Um, well, speaking, it, it's funny because I was I, speaking as somebody who knew you back then. I can safely say that yeah. to, to talk to you throughout the week, it was rare for you to not either reference this Dumb and Dumber. Well, not this. I mean, I mean you know, Ace yeah. Ventura. You know, anything Jim Carrey yeah. from that era. Ace Ventura. You know, The Mask. Liar, liar. Like you were all about things like that. You were saying, "Yeah, baby," mm-hmm. like once or twice throughout the week. So yes, you were very much you were very much stuck in that comedy mentality, and there's nothing wrong with that, especially yeah. you know for being a kid around that age and you know what was going on because they were huge phenomenons. So yes, you were you, right. You were very much I think, that. I think. I think what was going on for me is I had enough drama in my life. Literally, like those those like f- three four years of my life were very challenging, and in that, just like you know, comedians like. Um, Robin Williams, where he focused so much on making other people happy and just like, let's just focus on comedy. Let's just focus on comedy, you know, as much as he could so he could forget his own depression, if you will. Yeah. That was a thing for me. I'm like, if I just watch a comedy movie, then I don't have to worry about the real world issues as much. So once I started getting to the point where I was like, you know what? I want to not run from my issues and focus on them and start to find out, hmm, you know, where's the root issue here? What's going on? I mean, hey, I'm getting a little deep here, but in reality, that's when I started recognizing things and saying, hey, you know, let me watch these movies that actually get a little bit more serious and more into like real situations and see how would I handle this and how would I walk through my own, you know, traumas and whatnot. So um, as I did, I, you know, my um, movie watching preference changed mm. tremendously. And Truman Show, like watching this again, um, now I, w- I look back and I'm like, man, this is goofier than I remember it being. Like it's it's funnier than I remember it being. Because I remember getting so much of an impact when I first saw it. Um, I think when I first saw it, I was sharing this with my wife because w- when we went to go watch it, I'm like, hey, I'm gonna go watch the Truman Show. She goes, oh, can I watch it with you? And I'm like, oh, sure. We ended up staying up to like you know midnight, one o'clock, um, a few nights ago just to rewatch it. Mm-hmm. And um, as I'm saying, I'm laughing because I think the first few times I saw the movie, I didn't see the beginning. Really? I didn't see the first, like, three quarters of the movie. Wow. The first few times I saw it. It was, it was always on TV. I always caught, like, the tail end of the movie. So I caught, like, when he's out in the boat, and, you know, he's up there, and he hears the what seems like the voice of God, <laughs> but it's just Ed <laughs> Harris, <laughs> you know? Right. And it's, it's funny, because, like, that's all I remembered about him. Like, but it, I still knew the idea. I knew it was a cool concept, you know, pretty much, like, just before that whole thing happened. Um, pretty much like when he's, when he like escapes and he's hiding, you know, like, where is he? Where is he? And they're all looking for him. Like, this is kind of cool. You know, I want to watch the rest of the movie. It wasn't until I finally bought the movie, you know, the, the DVD, maybe like 10 years ago and then watched the whole thing. I mean, same thing with fifth element. I know we talked about that at one point recently too. And even that, I never saw the very beginning of it. You know, I told you I missed the entire intro It was always like, I caught onto it right after that right after the intro and it's like here's bruce willis you know uh so a lot of movies that are older for the longest time i never saw the beginnings of them because hmm. it, was, it was always just in passing like over someone's house hey the truman show's on let's watch it okay you know so to watch it again now and catch the whole thing i'm like man this movie's done so well yeah you know it, it's 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 very um, it was a great way for jim carrey to start to as you say like kind of stretch his wings a yes. little bit and and flex flex his his actor muscles and not just his comedian 
um, muscles, you know, his facial muscles, <laughs> if you will. Um, like, but this is, this is nowhere near as deep as he's gotten later on, you know, other movies he's done where he, you see him and you're like, wow, I really get it. And I think, um, let's look in, at Dumb and Dumber, which was what, 94, I believe Dumb and mm. Dumber was. And there's a, there's a scene in there that he, he talks about, he's talking to Harry and they're in their apartment and it's all about, they have the briefcase. We got to go to Aspen. And he said, and he does this whole like monologue. I'm sick of tired of, of having to eke my way, my way through life. I'm sick of tired of being a nobody. And most, and most of all, I'm sick of tired of having nobody. Hmm. And as he says this line, you look at him and it's like, it's the most serious thing in that whole movie. And it's like, wow, he's a really good dramatic actor. He's, he's, but but then, no, he's very you know, good. He's very good at what he does. But then they, they move on and they, they jump on and, and he's, you know, he starts crying. He's like, okay, Aspen it is. They hug and everything. It's like, okay, that's enough. And then they move on to something funny. Well, I mean, but, it was, it was dumb and dumber. Again, it wasn't meant to be any kind of a dramatic film. So obviously they were going to no. quickly move on from a scene like that. I, I understand that. I know, but I'm, I'm surprised they, I'm surprised they left that scene in huh. is my, is my point, I guess, because the rest of the movie, there's no, there's no dramatic parts like that anywhere else in the movie. But I think if they didn't leave that part in, people wouldn't have realized that he had more to give. And I'm really glad they did. It's just the way that it all it all unfolded, and I'm totally happy with it. I think it's fantastic. Um, you see this, you see Eternal Sunshine, and I was just about um, to, even even that. I was just about to comment ahead. on that. You say that this isn't anywhere close to what he's actually able to do. I, I love this movie. I do love this movie, but this, his performance in here—it's a far cry away from what he accomplished in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Nine. That's like, oh, that, that is his peak as, a, as an actor. Yeah. That is his absolute peak as a performer. So I completely mm. agree with you on that. But you were going to name another movie, yeah. and I kind of cut you off there. What were you going to say? I don't recall. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we can move on. Anyway. I was going to say, like, the number 23 was very interesting. You know, I wouldn't say it was a great acting thing. It was just very odd for him, kind of out there. Um it was another but, direction um, that I think he different. was trying to go, but ultimately that went nowhere, and I'm kind of glad it went nowhere. I don't remember much from that movie. Yeah. I just remember not enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be very honest. I just remember watching that movie and saying, okay, this was stupid, and I'm, I'm moving on with my life. I'm never going to watch this again. Mm. So, anyways, shall we uh, kind of get into it? Let's do it. So, the first thing that I want to comment on is um, Ed Harris. And he has this opening monologue about how people are sick and tired of, you know, modern television and cinema. They're tired of pyro, pyrotechnics. And it's really odd that he says they're tired of hired actors and actresses giving off, you know, fake lines and fake emotions when everybody in this movie, with the exception of Truman, is giving off fake lines and, you know, giving off a performance. So I just thought that that was real. Like, right. wait, wait a minute. What, what are you talking about? Now, I'm saying that from the perspective of having seen this a lot. I can't imagine what somebody sitting down for the first time would have thought about that and then going through the whole movie. I'm wondering if that would kind of cloud their judgment a little bit and if that was intended. Like, is is the intention of right. Ed Harris's monologue at the beginning of this movie to kind of deter the audience in a way to like, okay, don't look at, don't don't pay attention to anything behind the scenes, you know, stay in the moment. And it's just, it was a really interesting, interesting choice. Um, even well, reason reason I think that I, I I agree, but I think what they do is whenever you see people, so you see you watch a movie, right? And in the movie, 
you see actors acting. Yes. They definitely overplay the acting because they want to make it look like it's acting. So we're watching actors play actors acting. So they're going to make it look a little ridiculous. So everybody around him is like over the top in a way. I dis- except for that Sylvia character. I I, I um, kind of I kind of disagree with you. I think like Noah Noah Emmerich in this movie, like Marlon, he was kind yeah. of a he was kind of a down to earth character. Laura Linney, he his his wife, his wife is completely over the top These throughout this entire beans. thing. Oh my <laughs> god. Her with a with just the product placement and everything, every time she gets the chance, way over the top. Like she's the only one who's really like You're gonna slice me, dice me, or peel me. It's ins- it's absolutely she's she's insane, but but we'll get to that. And then you get into you get into the um the opening credits, which in and of itself is actually kinda unique. This is not starring Jim mm. Carrey. It's starring, you know, Truman Burbank. It's starring Meryl Burbank. And they don't give, like, the names Jim Carrey or Laura Lenny. It's their actual, like, names within this, this mock television show or whatever it is you want to call it. So it's completely right. submersive. Like, you're, you're completely submersed in, in this story from the jump. And I really, <clears throat> I really love that. Um, mm-hmm. So, anyways. Unlike... When I, when I think back to, like, Tropic Thunder, <laughs> I, I know, I mean, it, that movie, I'll probably, I'll never watch it again. I watched it again, like, a year ago, and I was like, I regret this completely, like, 120%. I will never watch this again. <laughs> um, unless I just want to see Robert Downey Jr., because he was, blew my mind, hilarious. It was right after Iron Man, and he does this, but anyway, um, in it, they made up characters. They made up these actor characters that they played. So. To me, it was hilarious because you got just just looking at Robert Downey Jr. for a second. He's Robert Downey Jr. playing a blonde, blue-eyed Australian guy who's playing a brown-skinned, brown-eyed, curly-haired black man. And you're like, how did you go all the way around and do that? And to me, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. That, and that movie the way that they is did the most it, ridiculous what, thing I've ever seen. <laughs> So, but the funniest part is if in the beginning of the movie, they got you into that submersive world of these are actors and this is that thing by starting off with movie trailers. Mm -hmm. So when you're at the movies, like I saw that movie in the theater and when you're at the theater and you see it, the trailers pick up right after the regular trailers. So it almost looks like you're really watching trailers for a movie at the theater. And I was like, I was blown away that I was like, this is really well put together. Like you go to the theaters to see this. They made this for a theater viewing. And there was no break. There was no cut. And they start off with this serious looking thing. And then he turns around and it's Ben Stiller, but they're calling him Tug Speedman. And you're like, wait, what? (laughs) Oh, I get it. We're already watching the movie now. But in that, they had this weird thing that was like a... Brokeback Mountain version of something with monks in Kirk Lazarus, which is this Australian blonde, blonde haired, blue eyed Robert Downey Jr. But as they're talking about him and they're saying, like, there's this forbidden love, you know, some weird thing happening there. And then they talk about his co co star in it. And they said straight up Toby Maguire. Oh, great. <laughs> so they made they made Robert Downey Jr. a secondary character, but they made Toby Maguire just Toby Maguire. They didn't even bother, like, giving him a different actor name. They just said, no, it's Tobey Maguire. They said, MTV's best kiss winner, Tobey Maguire. I was like, oh, my God. So they found a way to 
submerge you into this world, but yet t- have it tie into the real world, describing Tobey Maguire as best kiss winner from Spider-Man, you know, <laughs> and <clears throat> that blew me away. And that's obviously many years, actually, um, what, 10 years yeah, ten ten years. So what year did Trump and Thunder like came out? Less. I want to say it was two thousand eight. So I want to say it was ten years. If Iron Man came out in 08. I think I I want to say Tropic Thunder came out like the the next year. Okay, if not, so oh nine. So yeah, know. just just over just a little over ten years after this. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's funny that they took it and they. Uh, I thought that that was relevant. I know it's it's kind of a tangent and a jump, but I think it's fairly relevant considering. Well, so we first see Truman Burbank, and he's given off this little performance <laughs> in the mirror, playing a spaceman. Yep. We find out we're on day 10,909. Um, he freshens up, and he gets out there, and he's ready to get off to work, and you're hit immediately with what this world is all about. He sees his neighbors, and he greets them, and you get his catchphrase, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, and he kind of gives that little tilt and laugh and whatever. He goes outside. (laughs) So the first thing that I want to say, well, one of the first things that I want to say is I'm amazed at, like, his surroundings, like, what he grew up around and just what he's used to, because there's this guy that comes Mm. along with a trash can held right up like in, in, in his torso area and there's this giant camera on the front of the trash can and of course <laughs> Truman wouldn't recognize that this is a camera because you know odd objects camera shaped objects what have you have probably been shoved in this guy's face his entire life so he just probably wouldn't give it a second look um but, but oh this, yeah like the strip camera hanging in his baby mobile like right in his crib way later well <laughs> that's when he's a baby and you're ignoring things when you're a baby that you know, that's whatever, but this... Uh, he, that kid was not ignoring it. He was looking at it intently like, what is that? That does not yeah, I fit guess this so. aesthetic it's, in I, my room. I guess so, but it's just like, maybe because it was black, like this, like you look up and there's this like carousel of colors and there's just like one black thing in the middle of it that's like kind of just I know, like that's there. why it was funny. So... <laughs> that's why it was so good. So this guy, he has his trash can with a big camera on it. A, a Dalmatian comes up to him. There's a ca- There's a camera on his collar. That's that's catching everything, and it's just this awkward thing. And it, you just you, later on you realize that this is just his routine. He goes through this kind yeah. of thing every morning. He's in his car, mm-hmm. he's getting ready to go to work, and all of a sudden, a giant camera falls out of the sky. Mm. It, it, Not a camera. That was a light. That was a light. That looked like a giant camera. Yeah. That a was big, a light. That the, was like a stage light. Well, it had a big lens on it, so I was just figuring, like, oh, this is just like a bird's eye view camera. No, it was a, it was a stage light like that. That's a, a like a very generic stage light. Fine, it's we a, have those at the church. It's like a stage everywhere. light. It's a stage light. Fine, I, I will concede to you, sir. Anyways, he gets in his car. He's on his way to work, and thankfully, you know, the news anchor is explaining all of this. That you know, this plane going overhead, even though there was absolutely no plane in sight. <laughs> um, this this plane going overhead just started to shed parts. Luckily, nobody was injured, and it's just like they are. This world is laying everything on so thick immediately. And, you know, then it's the news anchor then asked the question that thinking about flying and Truman's like, nope. Okay, great. Perfect. We're we're moving on. So immediately it's like, be afraid to fly. I mean, later on, that kind of turns into just be afraid to travel in general. But it's just this is thick, like immediately thick and I don't yep. know, man. Like within the first five <laughs> minutes, 
I know you're laughing and you think it's funny. I feel horrible for this person who's like going through all this. Like there's nothing about this man's life that is real. And it's just like this, no. this, this it's, it's, it's horrible. Except for him, him, I, he I, was real. Sure. Sure he was. So, so says for a second here, I want to go back and just talk about Kristoff. First of all, Ed, Ed Harris's character He's so into himself that he has one name. Oh, I'm going to get into him later. I got a whole lot to say about Kristoff. Oh, but Christoph. He, he's, just, he's just one of those people who just go by Kristoff. Yes. Because he's so great. Yes. He's Kristoff. He's Kristoff. Oh, he's, who is it? Who directed this? Kristoff. Kristoff? Kristoff. Okay, I get it. Oh, my God. God gift to man. All right. He, he <laughs> I mean, I wanted to get into this later because I wanted to bring it up, but he's very much... He's very much one of those stereotypical artists that just falls in love with mm-hmm. every piece of art that he creates. Mm-hmm. Like for like for him, like I yeah. don't I don't believe that his character is like his motivation isn't money or fame. His motivation is his art. He's one of them. Oh yeah, totally. So and you even totally you even kind of get that a little bit in his opening monologue that is so pretentious, but. That's mm-hmm. that that's him in a nutshell. And there's a there's, yeah, there's, I had a teacher like that. Uh, I had a teacher like that in high school who um he was a graphic designer and he, he designed logos for like like uh the um the minor league teams in in the general area around where I live. And he was like, I created that by the way. We're like, Yeah, we know. You told us like seventeen thousand times, really? dude. Like Good for you. Exactly. No, I know what you mean. I had my history. My one of my history teachers was like that in high school, and he was just like so. Yeah. I'm smarter than you, and I know everything about history. But he was also really easily manipulated. Like you ask him a question about mm. something that happened in like 1950, whatever, and he would go on for like a half an hour talking about it, like thinking that he's like <laughs> dumping knowledge onto everybody, and it's just like, well, we just wasted that class. Yay, let's keep going, and we didn't have to do anything. So it was it was actually pretty easy. <laughs> But no, the, the the opening scenes in this movie is very much like, be afraid to fly. Like, Truman isn't going anywhere. Be afraid to travel. Be afraid to fly. Bad things happen. Then the hustle and bustle of, you know, the, the town square or city area of this mythical town that he's living in. You know, you got the score going on in the background. You got all of the, the extras, if you want to call it that, like going here, going there and all over the place. Then you get these two old men who approach Truman. <laughs> the <and> twins. <laughs> the, the twins. And they, they force shove him. They shove up on the, bo- on the board, the they poster. They force him <laughs> up against a billboard that's for Kaiser Chicken. And it's like, here's the product <laughs> placement now. And it's so awkward the way they just like force him here. And I'm like, I, I don't care. I, like, I don't care if you have been going through this your entire life. Eventually, like. After so many times of these twins, like, pushing you up against the same billboard, even though it's going to be, like, a different advertisement, you know, every day, every week, mm-hmm. or whatever, eventually, I would start to ask some questions, like, why do you guys keep pushing me up against the same spot every day? What's, what, what's going on here? Like, that's just If me. that was not your normal life, the thing is, he's been conditioned to think that everything around him is completely normal. So he's not going to question it like you and I have. Even if... uh. So if he was 10 years old where he was exposed to stuff like this, sure. But he was exposed to this as soon as he was born. Before he was born, there was a camera inside the woman. I know, I know. Who gave birth to him. I know, I know. I so get the it. thing is, like, to him, if you, if you grew up 
and you were raised by wolves, you wouldn't sit there and question certain things that happen. You know, that's the, the point is, no, because know, he does eventually, not know any better. Okay, this is fine. totally normal life for him. You, you, this is, everybody feels okay, this fine. way. Even, even if what you're saying is true and this is normal for him, why wouldn't he at the very least ask why it's not happening to anybody else? Like, it's him mm-hmm. specific. Like, if this is part of just, like, life, like, if this is just the way that things are, why is he the one being singled out? And he does notice this, like, eventually throughout this film, he does begin to kind of look at everything with a side eye. I'm just saying it took him, right. however old he is, 30 or whatever, like, I think is, like, mm-hmm. they, they, they say that at some point in the film, like, he's, like, he, this camera has been on him for 30 years or whatever. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. at some point in those 30 years, you don't ask any questions about why you're the one being singled out in all of these circumstances. Not one question. Yeah. I would ask, I would ask, even if I did grow up in this, I know I would ask like, Hey, what's, what's going on here? A little bit. It's hard to know. It's, it's hard to know if you're conditioned. The thing is when, when you're brainwashed, you know, or conditioned or, uh, desensitized to things, things just become normal and you don't question it. I mean, we can get, <laughs> he's really none of those far things. into what's going on now, but mm. he's really none of those things. He's just, he's a guy. But he's, he's, he's in a bubble. He's in, he's a, bubble. in a bubble. He's, he's very much in a bubble, mm-hmm. but I don't know. As, as far as him being desensitized or conditioned, if, if, if that's the case, then he yeah. would never ask any questions at all. He would still be in the bubble by the end of this thing. He would have never broken out. Yeah. Well, but that's the, the this is where we get into a uh, uh, a Doctor Ian Malcolm thing where uh, life will uh, uh, find a way, uh, which is the whole point they're getting at in this entire movie is that life will find a way that re- that humanity will find a way. As a human, you will start to question your reality and start to say, "Hey, why is this ridiculous? Why is this happening?" And as soon as you get like a whiff that something is changing or something is not quite right, that's when you can start questioning your reality and saying, wait, what if there is more to this? What if, what if I'm just living in this fake world? Which, I mean, Matrix kind of like touched upon that for a second and then moved on like quick. Like as soon as they did the whole like, you know, take this pill, go down the rabbit hole. Okay, then everything just changed. You're like, oh, that's it. We're done. We're not questioning anymore. It's just like you're right into it. This questions and questions and questions. And then he realizes, I've been living in this giant bubble. My life is fake. There are some things that happen that kind of move that along. Like his wife, like this Meryl Burbank character, she's kind of like the catalyst to everything because she's the one who's first starts to act really awkward around him. Yeah, she's the one pushing him into she's the one she's pushing, the one who, she's the one who pushes it. Like everybody else is just kind of acting yep. normal and life is life, but she's the one who's very much like she's the, I'm on stage and this is yeah. a performance and he sees right through it. Well, the thing is, she's been the one to push him into every direction like so everything else had to be simple, but the fact that um that other character there um what was her name? Natasha was playing. It was uh she had a couple of different names. Uh, really, but um, her character, I mean, it was her real name, <laughs> the actress's name, and then her, she, um, was it Lauren? Was it Lauren or Sylvia? Um, so her, her, her character name. name was Lauren. Her real name is Sylvia. Right. So when she was getting involved too much, 
they basically said, Meryl, jump in. Like, you need to be the, the interest here to distract him from this. So she was forced, like, basically directed, there we go, directed to be that distraction, oh, to I, be the one who guides him back to this fake thing. Oh, I took that so completely So when it became different. like... I took that completely differently. Here's what we do. I I, I okay. think, no, because Meryl, I think Meryl was always intended to end up being his wife. Maybe. Like, that's, like, that's, like, Maybe, that's clearly, thing, I, I, that's she clearly might the been? role that I don't she was know if... hired for. Like, these are hired actresses and actresses in this, in this thing. Like, okay, Marlon, c- clearly, you know, his best friend. And there's actually kind of a hint later on in the movie that he was actually recast. But this Meryl person who just comes up out of nowhere when they're in high school later on, like, during that flashback scene, she was hired mm. to, like, go the distance with him. Like, you're, you're, you're going to come onto the show and you're going to be his wife. And, okay, um, here you go. Cue, stage, you know, get, get out there. I don't think she was so much as a distraction. I think she was just, that's her role. That's what she signed on for. Yeah, but you don't truly know. Maybe she was hired to be like one of the, the few that could be his wife. And we'll see how it goes because I could, I could, I wouldn't put it past Kristoff to give him a selection of like five or 10, you know? And then see where it goes, and then follow them. So if he, he would had, pick, he would do the the casting. If he had and then a do selection, that, but he's like, quick, quick, Hannah, get over there. If he had, you a, know, if he had and, a selection, and, it would have been this this other woman that was kind of whisked away. If he had any kind of choice. Well, that's when he realized he, he had I, to I don't get think, somebody over I, there quick. I don't think he has a choice. I don't think he had one ounce of agency with who his best friend was with who his wife was going to end up being, with what kind of job he was going to end up having. Like, the, the, he had no agency at all. Everything was orchestrated for him. We're talking about a production mm. team that can mm. manipulate the weather in this world. You think they're going to just let him, you know, live his life the way that he wants to? No, they're going to control every aspect of it. We, 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 get well, a scene, we get a scene that's later. When, that's when we get into conditioning. At that point, we're getting into conditioning. Brainwashing. They are forcing him to make certain decisions. That's a far. They're not, that, they're not giving him a choice that's at a, all. That's a that's a far. They're not giving that, him. They're not. They're not laying out like here's your options here. Like in, in any situation, you go to a uh, a buffet, right? These are the foods that you can eat, right? Right. It's contained. It's in this restaurant. You paid the ten dollar fee or whatever. And you walk in, and you can choose from the selection they give you, and you have a backup plan. Okay, if they choose this, then blah, 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 blah. Like, that's the whole thing. It's like, there's a choice, a selected choice. We made this food. We'll keep bringing this food out. You eat it. Okay, look, they're eating, they're eating a lot more chicken wings. Let's make more chicken wings. Okay, good. We're going to go with the chicken wings tonight because they're all about chicken wings. So I'm not saying this is what happened. But I'm saying if I was going to direct... And do something like this, I would give choices. That's, that way it's more real. That's you. Because You're not, if you set somebody up, if you, if you choose an actress and say, this is going to be their wife, you can't prove it's going to be perfect. You can't prove it's going to make them satisfied enough where they think everything's okay. And clearly, Kristoff didn't make the right choice because Meryl was a total, like, <laughs> commercial girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty you know, much. It was ridiculous. She's a commercial girl. But, you know, you also get that later on because there's another 
love interest that enters his life who's clearly there mm-hmm. to fill that role all over again. Like, again, he, he really doesn't have a choice here. And saying that, you know, somebody who's living inside of a little bubble world, unknowing of everything that's going on around them, that isn't so much being brainwashed. Being brainwashed is, I'm going to change your mind about X and, and turn it into Z. Sorry, brain manipulation. Not even that, because he doesn't know. In order to brainwash, in order to brainwash or manipulate somebody, you have to you have to take something that they know or that they value and and change it into something else. They did not do that to him because he didn't know anything. He knew he didn't like Meryl. He knew he didn't right like off Meryl. the bat. He didn't. He knew you're right. He knew he didn't like Meryl. I don't know why he married her though. He didn't. Well, because he walked into it because he's like, well, whatever. <laughs> Here's what's here because. She, because nobody else was directed to go anywhere near him after the whole thing with uh, Lauren, Sylvia, whatever. I don't know but, if you can call that being brainwashed, but that's uh, neither here nor there. He's yeah, at work. Let's move on. He, he's he's he, <laughs> <laughs> that's the, see now a little behind the scenes. We were talking about which one we wanted to do first today, and I chose this one, and this is the reason why. I knew we were going to get into conversations like this. Anyways, um, mm-hmm. so he's at his office, and he's sitting at his desk, and he turns around, thinking nobody can see him, but lo and behold, there's a camera right there in front of him when he's trying to duck down and make a private phone call. He calls directory assistance, and he has some questions about the Fiji Islands. <clears throat> now, let's not even forget, no, I thought, he, I thought he was asking not about Fiji, but about um, Sylvia. No, he was asking... Or, this or is this, Lauren. No, this is the magazine. That's that, that that two completely separate events. Um, well, he did get the magazine as he walked to the office. He, he's walking to he the office and he gets a he gets a newspaper and he gets a magazine, and he mm-hmm. sets everything down. He gets into his office and he's making phone calls. Like he makes the phone call to Fiji before he does the whole thing with the um with the magazine. Oh, he called Fiji asking about Sylvia. No, he doesn't. He doesn't even ask about Sylvia. He's trying to plan a trip to go to Fiji. Uh, okay. Maybe he's trying to go to Fiji to find Sylvia. But the the, well, yeah. the thing here is he's just trying to get away. Like he wants to. He wants to travel. He wants to go to Fiji. Um, his boss, you know, conveniently comes around the corner and sends him to Harbor Island to meet with a potential client. Client. Um, he's reluctant about doing this. He gets to the dock, buys his ticket, and he's having a really hard time near water. Like, it's very obvious he suffered oh, yeah. some kind of traumatic experience. And again, mm-hmm. this this whole thing, you know, sending him out there to the dock and making him get on this boat and making him be near water, it's just reinforcing this be afraid to travel. Like, this is... Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I still, like, I'm on the whole thing with you saying that, you know, he's being brainwashed or he, he's, you know, going through such and such. Maybe the world around him is being manipulated times 10. Like, that's clearly what's happening here. But you, you really don't get into, you know, what, um, what kind of experience he went through until way later. It happened when he was a child and he's still suffering with a lot of that today, which is really, it's really messed up. About like the type oh, yeah. of things that were orchestrated in this person's life to like keep them contained inside of this world. It's really right. This is a tragedy. This is like <laughs> this is a horror story. So any- yeah. Anyways, 
um, he's back home and his wife shows up. And like you said, total commercial girl, like she's a walking, talking product placement. And right now she has a knife and she slices and dices and, and, and what else? Slices and dices and it peels, peels, slices and dices and peels. And yep. it's like this knife and it's like, go buy this knife. And this was really awkward. Like, it's just this, it's just the shot of, of Jim Carrey gardening and it's just his butt. Like his butt is just, it's just his there. butt. <laughs> he's, he's sticking it out with these big red shorts and i'm like dude like what do they do and he's like yeah, that's great hon yeah that's fantastic it's, it's <laughs> now the weird thing is she says you missed a spot and when, when they said it i was like that's very odd yeah but later on you do see that he's vac he's not vacuuming sorry he's um lawn mowing that one spot there's a single spot in his yard that grows it's um, one single spot. Yeah. So what? <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I still I don't can't think, figure that out. So I don't think we're supposed to be focusing on the one spot that grows. I just think we're supposed to be focusing on that one spot for what happens later. And I agree. My whole but thing. But why is that one spot the only part that grows and nothing else? No, I think. The, I think no. I, I no. I disagree with this. I think the whole thing grows. I just think this one part of the lawn is kind of lumped, and so it sticks out a little bit more. Like my backyard has things like that. Like there's an area in my backyard yeah. whenever I'm mowing, it kind of lumps up because somebody decided to drive a truck on it one day, so it lumps up and it looks. The grass looks like it's growing a lot more than it is compared to the area around it. Was that me? Did I drive my truck on it? No. Okay. No. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> but anyway, oh, so I, I think that was a whole thing, and it we'll get into it later, but it brings up a really interesting question that I have, um, and I'm going to save that for, for way later. Anyways, we get his wife and the knife and the product placement and Jim Carrey's butt. And then we cut to him and his buddy Marlon and they're having a, you know, get together chat and they're playing golf and they're drinking beer. And he's a product placement for this brand of beer. So it's just getting absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> That's a beer. <laughs> now, now Marlon is much more subtle about the way that he's advertising this beer than Mera was with the way that she's advertising this knife. And... Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Like, okay, I don't care what anybody says. Meryl is weird. She's just very weird and very awkward. You don't see anybody else acting like her. And I, I want, I, I believe it's on purpose. Like, this can't be a mistake. Like, just the way that she is. And I'm thinking maybe this is why she was hired. Like, maybe before she came to the show, she just was really good at selling, and she did infomercials, and they brought her on specifically for that. Hmm. It's just a thought. Maybe. I could be way off. Maybe. I don't know much about Laura Linney. I know she was, she's only a few years younger than my mother. Well, I'm, um, I'm not really talking about Laura Linney. I'm talking about the character of Meryl. Like, I don't care what this actress did with her I know. career. I'm talking about like her specifically, <laughs> like before Meryl was hired to come on to the show, what was her acting career like in the outside world? Like maybe she did infomercials. Right. She was really good. She sold a ton of product. Hey, let's bring her on to showcase a knife. Right. But I'm, I'm thinking about like what she's done, you know, as Laura Linney that would make them say, hey, she'd be perfect to play like this quote unquote bimbo 
you know, who all she does is just these horrible advertisements for for products. So um, it, it's funny because she's she's brought into this just to be that product placement person. So that's why she was hired. Mm-hmm. You know, as we mentioned before, like there's there's so many reasons why um, they would they would put certain people in there. And I mean, I'm I'm still gonna stand on the whole. They probably had a few different choices, you know. But they had to push her in because that Sylvia Lauren character was was getting too close too quick, and she was available. What so do they you said, mean? Oh, I, I don't I fell get, on your lap. I don't get what you mean by getting too close too quick. Like they glanced eyes <laughs> at each other. Uh. Yeah, that's it. And then later on, later on something different. Later on something completely different. But initially, like all they did was like yeah. look at each other. Yeah, but it was caught on film, on all the cameras, that it was it was more than just a oh hey, it was there was something going on. There. I'm, I'm gonna jump. Both of them. I, we're we're jumping all over the place with this one, but it's it's not like it wasn't. Hmm. It's not like it wasn't worth it to the production of the television show because later on it's kind of marketed. Like there's this whole thing later on about like the the girl who stole the kiss or that stolen kiss or whatever it was. Like right. it was right. it was marketed and I think there's even some some inference that was put on like a greatest hits VHS tape or whatever it was for, for this show. Like it was it, it clearly served somewhat of a purpose. So I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Anyways, so Truman is on a beach, and he gets a flashback of being out on a sailboat with his dad, and there's a storm coming along, and his dad falls off the side of this boat and, quote-unquote, drowns. And that's the traumatic experience of, of Truman's childhood and probably why he has a fear of, you know, being around any kind of water. And just, oh, yeah. just to get it out of the way, this was all orchestrated this person wasn't even his father, and Truman thinks that this person who was, you know, quote-unquote his father is now dead and died before him and drowned. What in a disgusting, traumatic thing to put a child through. Right. That's, that's, that's kind of sick. And immediately, Kristoff is, like, the villain. <laughs> like immediately, I do not like this person. It's absolutely <laughs> deplorable what he was able, what he did, like what he inflicted on this kid. Like that's wow. Okay, nothing. Well, no, I agree. Okay, I'm just like yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyways, so it's obviously it's it's they want Truman to go home because it starts raining. It starts raining in one spot not raining anywhere else <laughs> it's just raining on truman and truman gets up and starts to walk away and it's not raining and he looks back and it's still raining in that one spot the rain moves <laughs> and starts raining on truman again <laughs> and truman starts having some fun with this as if he's got some powers and then it just starts to downpour and that's the end of that and he he makes it everywhere yeah <clears throat> now what's funny about that is if you think about it if you're standing in rain you won't know, you know, how much rain there is because it's all around you. You don't see past that, right? He stepped out and saw it, and that's when he saw 
the limited circle of rain that was there. And he's <laughs> yes. like, wait, what? Yes. So he finally saw how ridiculous it was that like he saw what we saw, you know, which is so funny. Like that was a, a big malfunction. And so the thing is, I feel like this whole world that he's living in is like an amusement park. You know, it's been there for years. They maintain it when they can. But every now and again, you get some glitches. And it's finally at that one year, you know, 1998, <laughs> where everything starts falling apart. Like lights start falling and out of the sky. Def- the weather system yeah. isn't working right. <laughs> right. You know, and it's just it's just perfect timing for them to be like, hey, let's make a movie about this guy who's just right there at the right time where his brain's working properly. He's catching on to things and seeing the ridiculousness around him because he's got a brain. So... I thought this scene was was perfect because you look at it and you're like, uh, that's ridiculous. How does he not know? I'm like, well, if you were in that position, position, you wouldn't know as well unless you stepped out of it. You know, it was like, okay, all right, I'll take it, I'll buy it. And then he just he's like, ah, look at me, ha ha. And then the whole thing just downpours. Like, all right, I'm gonna go home. And then, you know, we move from there. Yeah. I never looked at it like that, like an amusement park. That's actually pretty interesting. <laughs> you, I mean, you, 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 you might, you're onto something with that one. Um, so yeah. Truman, Truman goes home. Technology, right? <laughs> Technology. Truman goes home and he's soaking wet, and he goes up to his wife. His wife comments on how he's soaking wet. He's still talking about getting away. He wants to go to Fiji. He wants her to, and she starts going on about how we can't leave our responsibilities and we have mortgage payments and blah 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 blah. And then, you know, she tries to initiate a little bit of sexy time by telling him to come to bed. And I'm just like, okay, not now might not be the time. <laughs> like, like, like Truman's having kind of a, a break here and you think this is a good time to go to bed. Like, really, lady? Okay. Whatever Distract commercial him? girl. Yeah, like, yeah. like her. I'm going to be very honest. I don't like her acting style. It's annoying. <laughs> is it supposed to be? Like, is this person supposed to be annoying? Yes. Like, did they, did she annoy yes. you? Yes. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't go all like, don't go all mad at the actress. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> like people, like people did with Wyatt Russell. <laughs> but no, I, I knew I was going to say it again. No, but the point is like, you have, you have to think about it. Like, yes, she was completely written to be this over, overacting character. Where it's like she's just all her job is to do is to be overacting and to just and tr- to try distract as an actor playing an actor. You know, that's it. That the whole thing was meant to be this way. It's supposed to give you those feelings. I mean, if a movie is not is not um, striking emotions or creating emotions in you, then it's not a good movie. The point is to make people feel a certain way. So if somebody is supposed to be a fake person, somebody not supposed to trust, if you're watching it. You should not trust them and realize they're fake, you know, and get that because that adds to the whole like what's happening here. So when Truman starts going, what's happening here? It's like, see, I told you, Truman, why weren't you listening to me? People do that. That's that's I mean, this movie was very spoon fed. You know, we're, we're being very spoon fed with this movie because it's, it's obvious. It's a caricature, you know, it's not. It's not something where you watch it like, whoa, that was a total mind trip, man. Oh, I didn't expect that. No, we expect it. We get it. We see it. It's obvious, but we're seeing 
it all completely unfold to somebody who would not have guessed it otherwise because they lived their whole life in it. So it has to be over the top and ridiculous. It's the way it was, it was done perfectly. And the way that Laura Linney played um, Hannah Gill, who's playing Meryl Burbank, was perfect. <laughs> okay. And you're right. Yeah. This movie is very spoon fed. Like we're supposed to get every little plot, plot and detail, like to a T. Like I, I, absolutely on board with you. I'm just. I'm gonna say it again. She's the odd one out because nobody else around her or nobody else around Truman is doing what she's doing. You know what she reminds me of? She reminds me of somebody that decided one day I'm gonna go to Hollywood and become an actor, and she just completely overdoes it, like she's on Broadway, mm-hmm. and they just grab mm-hmm. her off the street and say, "Here you go, you're playing this role now." Yep, that's like yeah. like that exactly. on top of her, you know, being you know probably a good saleswoman, you know, fine, but that's exactly what she reminds me of, and I don't know, I don't know, well, man. That's exactly why. That's exactly why she was chosen. Anyways. Um, we get our first little glimpse of like what people in the real world are doing and it's just two guys, you know, working in a parking lot and <laughs> the heavy set guy looks to his buddy and says, you know, they never show anything talking about, you know, Marilyn <laughs> and Truman going to bed. They never show anything. They just kind of, you know, pan over to the window when the wind blows, but they never show anything. <laughs> and then we get back, we get back inside of Truman's little world and it's this, it's the shot of you know a newspaper stand and there's this guy reading a newspaper and it uh, big letters with exclamation point who needs europe so still we're on this thing about <laughs> don't travel don't think about it there's nothing out there for you and it's like just getting nailed over the head with it and it's it's just the, the way that it's done throughout this film is just great like they're trying everything in the world to get him to forget about the outside world or forget about traveling mm-hmm. and no matter what they do, I love this about it. No matter what they do, it's absolutely not going to work. And it's great. Right. Mm-hmm. Then we get a homeless looking guy who's on the street who Truman looks at and there's a moment and it's dad. And then just it's one distraction after another. There's a track team that gets in the way. There's an old man that Truman collides with and a bunch of papers out of his briefcase go flying everywhere there's a bicyclist that he runs into and then he gets his father his father gets whisked away onto a bus and the bus just takes off like what like you you want to talk about things breaking like this is something that wasn't intended to happen and at this point like the (laughs) the light falling out of the sky the rain and now (laughs) this event like you should be asking some kind of questions now. Like, what? no matter how you want to look at this, either things just aren't going the way the production team wants it to, or maybe, like you said, like, mm-hmm. it's like an amusement part and th- things are just breaking down. Like, alarm bells should be kind of going off in his head. And there's some evidence that that's been happening for a while, but whatever. Yeah, so I've I've worked on different production teams. Actually, it's funny, because, like, today, it's Sunday, so I was at the church, and... um. As I was doing stuff, we had an issue. So I actually, I was off this weekend. I wasn't serving. I didn't have anything I needed to do. But they were having an issue with um, the signal feed. So we, we've gone wireless. So now we have um, wireless HDMI transfer um, receivers and, and uh, transmitters. So uh, when we have too many people in the room, all of their 4G slash 5G phones are actually causing signal interference. 
And now that we've had like these really packed Sundays because, you know, mask mandates have lifted and all that stuff. Um, people are, are just filling the place up and we're having all these issues. It's, it's this, it's that, like, it looks good. And, and it's funny cause the, you know, whoever's directing will count down like, okay, I'm going to you in three, two, oh, never mind. You glitched out. It's like, as soon as we get to one, it glitches out. The thing is, is there's always a technical issue um, with video stuff. You know, if you're shooting a movie, oh, say, for example, you and I are doing like a radio thing right now. We're doing a podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Now, we don't have to worry about how things look. You know, we're not worrying about video and audio. No. We're worrying about audio. If for some reason we have some big issue where one of us has to pause for a moment, we can pause. We can pick it back up. That's how we do it. It's just what it is. Now, if we have video, thing, we, we have, can't just pause we, the video. We have had technical issues before. You still have issues when you're doing audio. It happens. Right. Right. But not as much as if you're doing video and audio together. No, nowhere near. And it. when you're doing that and, and when you when you've got multiple cameras and you have one person directing to do a live feed, that's when you run into a ton of issues. And of course, these issues started 39 seconds before the broadcast <laughs> today. Rough. And I was like, oh, man. So because for once I had a weekend off, I saw there was an issue and I noticed that the person who was supposed to be on camera on, on the roaming camera was having a problem. I ran over and said, hey, give me the stuff. I'll take care of it because I knew that there was a way that we can get a better signal and not lose it as much. So I messed around with it, gave her a chance to take a break and just watch her daughter graduate from a, a program she went through today. So I hopped on, made it work, but the thing is, there's always a last-minute issue, especially if you're doing a live broadcast. I've done it so many times. You start late, there's, a, there's an issue in the middle of it. How do you handle it on the fly? Well, in this situation, well, you make the radio announcer say, hey, uh, watch out for planes who are dropping stuff and hope you're not planning on traveling anytime <laughs> soon. You know, like, you have to come up with some kind of backup plan, some kind of way to explain what happened and what you're going to do, you know, going forward if it gets that bad. So I, I really enjoy watching this movie because I've done, I've worked on production teams and I've seen, like, well, how do you do anything here? Like, you're you're live. Well, There's see, nothing you can do if you're live. The big difference the big difference here is you are in a very, you know, comforting situation where you can just be honest. Like, hey, everybody, we're having oh, some yeah. issues. Bear with us for a couple of seconds. You don't have to be some radio DJ who has to come up with, you know, some ridiculous lie on the fly about, you know, a plane falling apart in the air. <laughs> I just think it's. I just no, think you that don't whole have thing to. I'm hilarious. just saying. I, I think it. I. I just think it's funny, but I. I know how it is. Where it's like I have to come up with a way to to fix this quickly and do something here. So when you have when you have tech uh, technical issues like actual technical difficulties, you know, and equipment is failing, you know, you have to find a way to make do. And throughout this movie, you know, you see that Kristoff is basically directing people to find a way to make do, and I love it. I think it's fantastic. No, it, it absolutely is. I mean, I, I said before that, you know, at, at a point in the film, I completely saw, we didn't know what well, we did know. I completely saw Kristoff as, you know, the villain, and I do not like him. But, you know, Ed <laughs> Harris in this movie is amazing the way that he's able to play this role. I, I, I do want to say that. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely incredible. Anyways, mm -hmm. after, uh, after Truman's, you know, interaction with his father and being distracted by everything under the sun, he runs to his mother's huh. house and tells her this entire story. 
Um, so Holland Taylor, who is just credited as Truman's mother, she doesn't even have a name, which I think is really weird. Um, she... Wait, did I miss you? Did I miss you already bringing up the fact that he walked into his father? Yeah. Okay. I went through that Continue. whole thing, man. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you want to comment? I mean, I went through the whole thing about how he walked into him. He said, Dad, and there was one distraction after the other, the track team, the papers flying everywhere, the bicyclist, and then he gets whisked Sorry. onto a buck and just kind of taken issue. away. <laughs> I had a headphone issue. Well, Continue. no, if you, I mean, if you want to, <laughs> no, I already said it, so if you want to comment on it, go ahead. Nah, we're good. Okay, anyways, yeah, so like I said, he's he's at his mother's house, and she's hearing this whole entire story, and she, oh man, she lays the guilt in pretty thick. Like, You've always just felt bad for what happened, but I've never blamed you. Like, wow, like what a, <laughs> what a mind trip to put your son through. Man, that's, that's, that's harsh. That's manipulation and conditioning. Sure. It is. Come on. I, I I said I agree with you with the manipulation part, but to be conditioned, I still think if in order to be conditioned, your mind has to change. Like something about like something eh. that you believe, something that you hold dear has to change. An ideology, an idea, a belief, or what have you. That is something that fundamentally has to change in order to be manipulated or conditioned. Okay. Anyways. Where was I? So, yeah, he tells his mother the story. He's convinced about who he saw. Did dad have a brother? He's going through the whole thing. And it's just, it's a means to absolutely no one because he gets no information, no help there at all. He's um, Mm. back at his house. He's going through some old photos in his chest. And he's clearly, you know, very upset. And again, I know it's, I know it's kind of minute and it's just a part of his life. But there's this very oddly positioned um compass in the middle of of the hood of this chest that's like that is very clearly a camera he just you know accepts <laughs> yeah. it for what it is though and we're just we're moving on with this um so he's clearly upset his wife makes her entrance into the basement and again commercial girl she comes downstairs you shouldn't upset your mother like that he makes up some story about working on the lawnmower that's why he's in the basement and she, you know, plugs an ad for some brand new lawnmower that's on the market, I guess. And then she just makes her way back upstairs. Yeah. Right. Yep. Right. Whatever. <laughs> you, sh- <laughs> I love it. you should get one of those blah, blah, blah. It's funny because later on they do get it. Yeah, he does end up getting it. So. Yeah, and, and they do a big close up on it as he's as he's mowing the one spot in his lawn. <laughs> it is really weird that he's only mowing that we only see him mowing that one spot which again i know i think there's a reason for this and we'll get to that later anyways Mm. so um he goes back into his little chest and he pulls out this bag and he pulls out this sweater this 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 lady sweater and it's not here when he sniffs it but he just kind of looks at it and then it's you know classic you know flashback cutscene and we're back in his high school years, I guess, or or maybe he's just in his. Now let's go back to this. No, before we even get to that, the thing is, he pulls it out and thinks about her, <clears throat> and Kristoff decides to actually do a whole flashback 
like an actual flashback yes. on the broadcast. Yes, that's I, that was interesting. So and it it's goes, not just us seeing what's going on in his head. We're we're seeing we're what seeing, is broadcast. We're seeing what's being broadcasted, which is why I said earlier it's not like it's it's not like that. This character from his past, um, Laura, Lauren, or Sylvia, whatever you want to call her, doesn't serve somewhat of a purpose. She's, I mean, she's right. She, it's marketable. It, it's very clearly well, marketable. She became that. She became that, just like everything else Christoph right. says. Like, we can use this. Right. We can use this. That Like, this happened. Well, we can use that. We can explain this. It's always about thinking about thinking on the fly and finding a way to explain it, you know, for everybody. So, you know, I don't think it was the plan, but it became like, well, how do we make this look okay? No, you're well, absolutely right. You, okay. It, it wasn't the plan, but they're using this to their, their advantage. Like, and it's, it's... Right. I mean, from... From Kristoff's perspective, from the production team's perspective, it's absolutely brilliant the way that they were able to do this. Oh, yeah. So totally. we're back in his high school years, or maybe maybe he's in college. It's not really clear on when they are. Um, but he's, he's in a big band. He's like in a school band or whatever like that. And he's making eye contact with Lauren. And his buddy Marlon over here... Um, <laughs> very much a part of the crew recognizes that they're making eye contact and Truman is not supposed to be looking at her. So he starts very obnoxiously blowing this trumpet into his face. And it's like, it's the weirdest thing in the world. Yeah. It's basically the same thing as Meryl jumping into his lap. That, and which happens it's a couple of seconds they later. Do, they're, they're, they're taking, they're taking the actors and they're, they're just like putting them like, hey, distract him. Yeah. Hey, this isn't supposed to happen. Hey, get get, get them out of this. Yeah. You know, I got that next. His future wife basically throws herself at him and it's very, very weird. And even even now she's very obnoxious. Um, later on, we get to kind of a school dance and Lauren is there at the school dance and they're making eye contact even more. And then we're at the library. And they meet. And they introduce themselves to each other, and she's being very quiet. Like, I'm not supposed to be talking to you. This can't happen right here. He asks her out for pizza and, and whatever, and she wants to go now. And they're they're off. They whisk away, and now they're on a beach, and they have a kiss. And <laughs> what is presented as her father pulls up in a car out of nowhere onto this beach. Like, like, like speeding down this beach as if he's, like trying to escape fire it's ridiculous it's ridiculous she sees this oh my god they're coming for me and she tries to tell him everything right then and there she tries to tell him this is all fake none of this is real everybody's just here for you the sand the sea the sky everything it's all for you her quote-unquote father gets out of the car and grabs her apologizes to truman saying that she has schizophrenia and that they're moving to fiji (laughs) what (laughs) Like, are you really? And that's when we, you know, see him kind of pick up her sweater and he, he can't give a bat to her. And he has this, he, like, he has this memento, like this was real. And he right. kind of knows that this was real and this is really heartwarming to see. So we get that whole flashback mm-hmm. and it's just absolutely ridiculous. What was funny about that scene is as they were running away and trying to, like, sneak off to go somewhere, um, they're... She knew where a lot of the cameras were. Yes. 
and she was helping him like stay out of the camera's view. Yes. So like right there in the library, they're all walking out one way. Then they like then they you see the camera like stop and like look and like wait where'd they go and like do like a like a triple take like voo, 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 where where are they and then they then it sees them sneak out one side. So as they're running out, they're avoiding the cameras and trying to be sneaky past it because these cameras all move and they're all trying to spot them. And it finally catches up to him on the beach, and that's when you see Dad show up in the car. I thought it was great because they were, no matter how they said what five thousand cameras, I think you said we find like out, we find out later on that there are at least five thousand cameras in this little town that was built. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I I laugh at it now because I'm like I'm thinking five thousand is like nothing compared to what they would do today if they tried this. Go to Europe, you know. There's a there's a, we, there's a we, camera. We would definitely be close to a million. <laughs> absolutely absolutely oh yeah with 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 the technology we have today and how easy it is to put a camera somewhere like we, this whole place like everything would be a camera like he, his toilet seat would be a camera like nothing would be unsafe well, so it, not, it's funny to me that, that was what they were saying to, but you you have to kind of you know concede a little bit there that this was made back in 1998 this is before smartphones right that's, that's before, what i'm saying the technology is different you know so exactly so i I kind of give that a pass. Like, I'm not, you know, going to harp on that a whole lot. This is 1998. They're working with the technology that they have. Right. I'm not harping on it. I just think it's funny, and that's why I like that they had this whole camera trying to find them looking around. Because nowadays we wouldn't have an issue. And it's funny, because we're going to talk about another movie that, that involves cameras yeah. being everywhere. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's more realistic nowadays. Way more. Way more. Um. So... We find out, because the flashback scene is over, that um, he's gone so far to remember this girl that he's recreating her face with, like, clippings from, like, girl magazines of, like, like makeup magazines. And, like, you have the portrait. Yeah. And he's, like, ripping the eyes out of the magazine, ripping the lips out, ripping this part of, a you know, the face off. And he's, like, trying to recreate her face to the best of his ability. And lo and behold, right. by the end of this movie, he actually does it, like... The picture he comes up with is pretty accurate to um to what Lauren actually looks like, and I'm actually I was very impressed with the way that they were able to to accomplish that. Well, the reason they the way they did it was they actually took a picture of Lauren's eyes and did it because nobody had her eyes. No, you're right. There's no way he found uh, he found matching eyes that were perfect to look like her. So when we did finally see it, I'm like, oh, they clearly took a picture of this actress. I know, and used it because. I, I know, I, I, I get it, but I'm suspending disbelief. Those aren't her eyes. He got them out of a magazine. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm, I'm, I mean, yeah. I completely, like, anytime... Like, Good for him. Good for him. <laughs> there you go. Like, come on, just lose yourself in, in it for a second, man. You don't have to go... <laughs> yeah. Anyways. No, but I, I absolutely agree with you. I know what you mean. They took a picture of her eyes. Like, it's very clear and obvious. So. But it's, uh, it's whatever. So the next morning, he's in his car and he's on his way to work. And like you said, like this is like parts of this area are just breaking. Like his car radio begins to tweak out and he picks up on the production <laughs> team's frequency. And, you know, the, 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 oh, I don't even know what to call him. The D, the radio DJ or the person behind the radio DJ, somebody talking to the production team is like guiding where the cameras have to go like he's making a turn down this street okay get ready in five four three 
And Truman's recognizing this. He's freaking out a little bit. He almost runs over an old woman. And then it's, oh, he's listening to us. Yeah, switch to a different frequency. And like this high pitched frequency squeech happens. Everybody in the area (laughs) freezes. (laughs) Everybody in the area freezes, puts one hand to the ear where I'm guessing somewhat of an earbud is. And then it's over and they all continue about their day. Like nothing happened at all. Yeah. Yep. Okay. (laughs) And that's when, that's when, that's when things start getting really, really good because Truman is finally starting to kind of look at everything with a side eye. Like, I don't know if this was the moment. Okay. So this is one of two things. This is either the moment he realized that things are going to go on as planned, no matter what he does. Or this is mm. the moment that he realizes that things in his world aren't right. Mm. I'm gonna well, get, I'm gonna get into it right now. We've mm. talked about that spot on his grass for a while. We, we we brought it up a couple of different times how this is one spot on his grass. It's either growing or continues to grow with this just this awkward mound. Personally, this is just <clears> me, but personally, I think that he's been kind of digging his way here for a while and we just don't know about it i i knew you were gonna go shawshank there for a second but kind of um kind of i don't i don't i don't think so he did not do this overnight like when we get to the end of this thing and there's like this little ladder in the back he didn't have to dig very he didn't have to dig very high he didn't have to dig very high from where he was. He wasn't going Shawshank length no but he was only going up a few feet i know but like to avoid any kind of suspicion if he thinks he's being Meh. watched to avoid any kind of suspicion, he's not going to try to do this all at once. He's going to he's going to do this, you know, in 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 small increments. But that's only if he knows how far it goes. He didn't know how far this went. He didn't know it was in his own home. He might have. I don't think he did. He- not until the like the next scene. I don't think it was until later. I, I so personally, I mean, we're, we're talking about this and saying what we what we think and guess. I don't personally think that he knew this early on how deep it went and that he would have to start digging a hole from his closet in his basement. I don't think he thought that at this point. I think that was a one-time thing. Hmm. That's just my opinion. Hmm. I mean, it, one or two time, like when things got more, but I don't think at this point he started digging. I think it was later on. See, I think it was at the point where he saw his dad. Yeah. And that was easily Maybe. that was easily a couple of days before this. Like that was such an event to happen for him. Like I saw my dad and then all of a sudden everybody starts getting into my way and they won't let me see him. And he's now he's on a bus and he's being whisked away and the bus driver won't stop. Like some at that point, something is going on. Mm. Maybe. Maybe. Regardless. He starts looking at everything through a blind eye after he, you know, overhears the the radio frequency. And I'm going to say this. The score for this movie from here on out is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Like, I absolutely love it. Like, this is something that I'll listen to by itself. Um, He doesn't go into work. He just goes around the revolving door a couple of times and he ends up back outside. And it's almost like he's a new person when he comes out on the other end. He's... Mm-hmm. suspicious of every little thing that he sees. 
Um, he spots some shady dude, you know, wearing some glasses with a newspaper that just kind of quickly walks away. He runs a little bit like he's trying to like misdirect like where he's going like he's trying to confuse people and that's really not working because the camera's (laughs) on him at all times it's so awkward he ends up in the middle of the street the bus stops he puts his other arm out to stop the car that's coming down the other side of the street and it's okay we're we're trying different things now like right now he's just throwing things to the wall to see what sticks like how far can he actually take this he wanders inside some mm. random bu- random building just because, and he gets his first look, you know, behind the scenes. And w- <laughs> where where an elevator shaft should be, there is no elevator shaft. There is, you know, a an actress sitting in a chair, you a know, green room, <laughs> reading a paper with with a catering table with all this wonderful food on it. And then you know the the construction people come and put up a fake wall. What's yeah? <laughs> what I think is really funny they about scramble. What I think is really <laughs> funny about this is there's this one lone actress that wanders onto this makeshift elevator and just faces forward as if nothing is going on behind her. I thought that was hilarious right. for some reason. It oh was, yeah, <laughs> it was hysterical. Like, what are you doing? It's like, like oh hey yeah yeah. The, like, uh, like what? The jig is up. Well, that's her job. Her job is to walk in there and do that, and then that's what she does all the time. It, not expecting Truman to run up there and get that close. But it's like, <laughs> see it. Okay, like, there's a difference. Like, you want to stay in character. Fine, stay in character. But at that point, like, okay, the jig is up. He he saw the catering table. You know, he saw the people behind me. What what am I doing? I'm not going to act like I'm still on this elevator. She's being paid to do her job. That's I, it. I guess so. I guess so. That's, hey, it's commitment <laughs> if nothing else, right? Exactly. Oh, my God. So he's freaking out. He goes to meet up with Marlon, starts telling him about his experience and everything that's going on. And he thinks he's being followed. And Marlon's just like, nah, man, you're being paranoid. I got to get back to work. And they end up going to the beach and they're, they have. Is this the vending machine scene? Yes. Hold on. Yes. Okay. I'm watching the vending machine scene and I don't usually catch things like this unless I'm really paying attention. He's putting in chocolate bars like Hershey bars, right? Into the vending machine. Mm-hmm. Then he moves on to the next row and starts putting in something yellow. I'm going to guess Mr. Goodbar or something, right? I, I thought it was Crackle. Isn't Crackle yellow? yellow. Crack, crackle, crackle's red. Crackle's red. You're right. Okay. Okay. So it could be Mr. Goodbar. It could be um, Butterfingers, but they look wide. So I'm going to say Mr. Goodbar or whatever. He was putting something else in there yellow. Okay. And then they cut back. And, he's, and it showed him putting in the brown things again, like Hershey's. I'm like, wait, didn't he just put like five things of yellow in there? And it cuts back, and we're looking at it, and I'm watching again with my wife, and I'm like, that's a big difference, brown to yellow. Like, that's a big movie mistake. Like, it's, it's very glaring, especially if they're shooting it from inside the vending machine. No, they kept going back and forth, and they kept switching between yellow wrapping and brown. It stood out like a sore thumb. It was really, like, it was really bad. I don't see things like that very often unless I'm really looking, mm. but this was glaring. Oh, wow. I didn't so, notice that. I noticed I'm surprised because it was, like, it was painful. I noticed, I noticed a smaller, you know, um, filming mistake later on in the film that we'll get to. This wasn't one of them. So, I mean, yeah, good eye, but mm. I didn't, that, that completely passed me by. I think, I, I think it was because I was so focused on the moment. Like, oh, my God, this is the moment where Truman starts to kind of recognize everything around him. And you're just so engrossed in what's going on with the dialogue 
that you know this. Well, that's why they thought nobody would see it. Exactly. So nobody, <laughs> nobody's really going to notice something like this. And you but got I mean, people like me with ADD, like, hey, look at this. No, man. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Sure. Anyways, Marlon thinks he's completely paranoid, but agrees to go which room, and they're going to skip work for the day, and they're going to go have a little chat on the beach. And they're talking about. I don't really don't even know what they're talking about here. I think they're. I think Truman is still talking about like everything around me is a mess, and I don't know what's going on, and. Marlon's just doing everything he can to kind of, you know, soothe this over. Like, nah, man, everything is great. Get back to normal. And the one thing about this scene that, that, that catches my eye every time I watch it is the size of this ridiculous moon in the sky. It is I know. Massive. Every time there's a moon, it's massive. It is absolutely mm-hmm. ridiculous. <laughs> so, but I guess, I guess if Truman grew up here. That's just what he knows. Nope, that's the moon. That's, and that's his life. Size, every and every night, it's a full it. moon. No, that's, I absolutely <laughs> get that. Every, I'm, I wonder if that's the case. Is every night a full moon? So far, every night we've seen was a gigantic yeah, moon. Yeah, you're right. So. You're right. I mean, I only paid attention to it really the one time. So, and it, mm. it, it, and it was full, but I'm, I, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Um, hmm. So he's back at home. He's with his wife. He's with his mom. They're going through some more photos. Comes across a photo huh. of him, his father, and his mother standing at standing at Mount Rushmore. And it's the most it's the most ridiculous Mount Rushmore you've ever seen in your life. It looks like it's about the size of a small SUV. It's they just they just threw this thing together willy-nilly and here we go. Like whatever. Like, I guess it's because, ah, eh, Truman's so young, he's not going to remember this. Then why take the photo? Like, the photo was so glaring. It's so bad that, really? Like, come on. Come on. Like, did he not have history class? Like, did they, they just, we're, we're going to be selective of what we teach him? Like, is that what's going on here? Uh, that's, like, that's, that's where my mind goes. Well, I mean, do you know how big Mount Rushmore is? Well... By scale, okay, it's bigger than than what they showed in this picture. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. That's again. That's just where my mind goes. That was one that I really couldn't swallow. Um. So, anyways, they take off. His mother's gonna get a ride home from his wife, and there's a convenient commercial on about how awesome it is to live in a small town and there's really no need to travel and see the rest of the world and you're never poor as long as you have friends. So that's that's real right. convenient to try to get his mind off of, of any kind of travel and any kind of that nonsense. He flips back a couple of pages in this in this photo album and focuses on a picture of, of him and his wife on their wedding day. And at first glance at first glance, I thought he was looking at the ring. On second glance, I noticed that she had her fingers crossed, and that really raises an eyebrow with him for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought that maybe her ring would have been a camera, and he'd just like, wait a minute, is that a camera? And, like, I was waiting to see, like, a little miniature camera in, in this ring for whatever reason, even though I know it's ridiculous, but then, like, oh, no, on second, on second viewing, it's definitely you know, her fingers being crossed, which is really weird for her to do. Like, it's almost like this marriage doesn't count because I had my fingers crossed. Like, sure. Okay. <laughs> huh. 
Anyways. Yeah, that was a little ridiculous. And it's funny because I watched it. I was like, what am I missing here? And my wife's going, oh, wow, yeah, I forgot. I'm like, what? Oh, it took me a while to see the fingers. Okay. Like, oh, that makes sense. Okay. Um, Yeah, so it's the next morning. And Truman wants to have a talk with his wife about we don't know what. Because she makes up some story. And again, like like the DJ talking about the plane flying overhead... She makes up the story about how she has to get to the hospital early because she has to do surgery and amputate some girl's arm or leg or whatever because there was an accident involving an elevator shaft in a building right next to where he works. Mm. I, I, I don't understand. Okay, regardless of the world that he grew up in, I don't understand why the story would be believable at all. Like, they know he was in the building... They know he saw the catering table and everybody back there just chilling. Why would he believe that there's an accident and now that this is resulting in some kind of amputation? Like, why, why would you believe that? <laughs> I have no idea. I feel like that's a legit question. Like, I feel like that's valid. Yeah. Like, now you're just, like, at that point, now you're just trying to treat Truman like he's an idiot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the, the, the whole thing ends with uh, her saying, well, I got to run off. Wish me luck. And he <laughs> delivers, he delivers his first cold line of the movie. I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. And she, her face sinks like her, everything about her just like sinks because like she knows what he saw, but she's still keeping up like the charade of everything. And it's really weird and weird. Like, even though, the one thing I will give to this actress, she stays in character, even though everything else around her begins to break from this point on, she stays in character. Like, she's not breaking. Mm-hmm. She's trying to be a quote-unquote professional. So I guess that's, I guess that's to her credit. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, to a certain point. Mm, yeah. Um, he follows her to the hospital. Like, he doesn't believe the story at all. He follows her to the hospital, and... He's, he makes his way to the hospital and he's looking in the operating room and there's this doctor who's just trembling with a knife in his hand talking about getting ready to make some incision. They, they <laughs> knock a table, the quote unquote patient, you know, kind of jerks, even though she's supposed to be like knocked uh, out under anesthesia. This is just not happening. Yeah. Some security guard. They come- went full three stooges here. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's the most. Wow. Then, you know, security guard comes along and just says, this is going to be ugly. You don't want to watch this and pulls a curtain down to just end this whole thing right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I said before that, you know, at this point, they're just kind of treating Truman like an idiot. And I think he kind of grasps this as well, because the next time we see him, he's at a travel agency trying to book himself a, a, a flight anywhere else. I think he's I think yep. he's trying to book a flight to Fiji. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. I just think he's trying to get away. But like inside this travel, well, he said he said Fiji. He did okay. Thank he said, you. He said Fiji. Okay. Yeah. So he's inside this travel, and he's surrounded by these disaster posters, like ones like "If you travel, you will experience death and famine and brimstone and everything else," and it just shows a plane oh, oh, yeah, on there's, fire. There's one being struck by lightning. There's one there's plane being, being struck, struck by <laughs> lightning. Like you're, you're absolutely right. Like everything in this travel agency is like a deterrent. Like great, perfect. We're still. Trying to hammer, even though at this point it's not working anymore, 
And I'm so happy that it's not working anymore. Like, finally, like, he's starting to get over whatever fear he has. Like, he's at the point where he does not care. He just wants to go. So, there are no flights out for at least a month. Like, no flights at all for at least (laughs) a month. And he just accepts this. He goes to a bus depot. He books himself a, a bus ride to Chicago. But this dude, <laughs> this dude trying to drive this bus, he clearly does not know how to drive a bus because he's an actor. And the bus just breaks and smoke begins to billow out of the front of it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hysterical. Well, no, I, I think, so I thought that at first, but this last time watching it, I said, um, I thought that he purposely just um, blew the, uh, the gears. I don't think so. I don't think he, I don't think he did it on purpose. I just at think fir- he's not. At the first few times I saw it, I thought it was because he didn't know how to drive a bus. I think it's because he then doesn't later know how on, to drive a bus. I thought he was he was told it's like, hey, just like go ahead and and just blow your um your transmission here. Well, because we see the same we see this same actor later on in the film on a boat, and he's being ordered to you know get on that boat and get out there and go get him, and he can't do that either. And the excuse is, well, he can't drive the boat because he's an actor. I think the same thing applies here. I thought he said, I just, I just drive the bus. Maybe he did say I'm used to the bus. I don't think he did it on purpose, though. Yeah. I just think he doesn't, know how to, he doesn't know how to shift a gear on a bus because he's an actor. I, I thought that at first. This time, I saw it differently. Okay. That's all I'll say. Sure. Well, and there's a reason why I think that. And it's because this guy, this bus driver actor, he's, and I can't believe it, he's the first person to show any kind of guilt towards Truman at all like out of everybody Mm -hmm. in this like small makeshift town he's the first person to look at Truman and genuinely say I'm sorry yeah it was funny when he goes I'm sorry son he says to him I'm like how much older is this guy than Truman because (laughs) he's calling him son I think they're like a year apart I don't I don't (laughs) think it matters I, I think I think it was a genuine moment and it was finally like somebody who feels bad about what's going on with this poor guy. Yeah. And it was from like a, a bus driver of all people, like a nobody, like a side, not even a side character, like a background character. It was, I thought it was really cool to see. And maybe, maybe he did, you know, blow the transmission on purpose and then just apologize. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. I can't. But at, at the same time, it could also be just like, you know, he's, he's an actor. He doesn't, what does he know? What does he know about driving a bus? Come on. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so some other guy jumps on and says, everybody off the bus, we got a problem. And the people who are on this bus, just, they cannot wait to get off. Like, it's immediately, I, I, they immediately <laughs> want to get out of that situation. It must be so awkward for them. Like, everybody's sitting face forward, stone face, except for one little girl who's, like, kind of being nosy. Like, isn't that, oh, my God? And she's, yeah. she's, she's quickly, quickly silenced. It's, it's, <laughs> I thought it was really funny. Um, Truman ain't moving. He's yeah. sitting at the back of this bus. I'm, I'm really curious to know how long he actually stood there for. But later on, um, as his wife is on his way, or her way home on her bicycle, um, Truman is sitting in his car. And our our neighbor friend with the trash can with the camera on it, he's even looking at the car and just kind of shrugs it at, at his wife, and they really don't know what to make of it. She gets in the car, and he is starting to notice patterns. So he says, 
he predicts that a woman on a red bike, a man carrying flowers, and a dented yellow beetle will all drive by or will all go by me. And like clockwork, they all went by. And Jim Carrey in this moment, and I'm saying Jim Carrey, he pulls off being able to act like a man who's on the brink of insanity really, really well here. Because they just keep going oh, around. Yeah. They just keep going around and around and around. Like, he's completely about to lose his lid. Like, from, from, from this point on, he's just on the brink of absolutely going insane. And I loved it. It's amazing. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's, you, you see it in other stuff, too. It's like, hey, I bet you I can guess this. I bet you I can guess that. And he's doing it here, and it's... You know, he's he's losing his mind. He's he's ready to take her for a ride. Yeah. Which I think is great. They 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 certainly go for a ride. Um he wants to go to Atlantic City. <laughs> he wants yep. to go to Atlantic City, he but he wants to go anywhere. He no, he says Atlantic City. Let's go to Atlantic City. I don't know because we've never been or whatever, and the road is suddenly blocked. Like he's traveling down the street and and it's like something you would see out of like a 1960s, you know, sitcom, like all the cars come out at the same time and every, everybody's off to work type deal. Only, you know, a van pulls out in front and it, it blocks up traffic and they're going to be there forever. So he turns around and says, well, we'll go somewhere else then. He heads down the same street and lo and behold, the street is clear now. There is no more traffic and nothing else in his way. They come to a bridge mm-hmm. that Truman is going to have a really hard time getting over because of his fear of water, and he, he's having none of it. He closes his eyes, grabs his wife's hands, throws it on the steering wheel, tells her to drive, and just hits the gas, and they're off. They yep. make it over the bridge in one piece. Everything is fine. Big neon sign warning of a forest fire, and this one little stream of fire shoots across the street nothing else like no trees are on fire nothing there's no danger it's just one streak of fire that goes across the street and they just drive right through it and for whatever reason the entire car fills with smoke <laughs> yep okay as they go through it and i i was laughing because i like um i thought about that i'm like if you can't see in your vehicle for more than three seconds, you will lose your mind. Especially at that speed. He the didn't. fact that they kept on driving and couldn't see anything, he just kept on. He's like, well, whatever. He doesn't care. You know? He doesn't but care. I, he wants to yeah. go. He does not care. He does not yep. care. He he's, wants out. He's on a roll. So, they keep <laughs> on going. They come to a leak. <laughs> a leak at a power plant. Okay. Like, great. Now we're here. Um, this might have worked. Like, Truman was buying it for a minute until this cop called Truman by his name. Like, that was the big mistake mm-hmm. here. So it's, uh, yep. sorry, leak at the power plant. You got to turn around. We're evacuating the area. And Truman says, okay, sure, no problem. All right, see you later, Truman. And it's just like, that completely sets him off. He yep. thinks everything <laughs> around him right now is just a fantasy. He jumps out of the car. He barrels into the middle of the woods. He wants everybody to get away from him. He's having a complete mental break. And to me, the most terrifying thing, like all of these men in these hazmat suits just surround him and tackle him to the ground. And it's just like, wow, like they went this far. (laughs) And one of them, what made me laugh so hard is one of them had this like radiation meter that was just a camera. It was right. It was just a camera. It was just a camera. 
So that whole crisis is averted. Truman is back home because these nice, you know, policemen, quote unquote, you know, bring him home safe and sound. Okay. So, they, Truman and his wife, they get into a conversation about having a baby. I guess somewhere in, in, somewhere back about, I don't know, maybe a half an hour before this moment there, his mother is giving, you know, them a hard time about having a kid and she wants to be a grandmother at some point. And he asks her, why do you want to have a baby with me? You can't stand me. And she Mm -hmm. doesn't respond. She, she just kind of like shrugs it off and immediately goes into like a commercial, like, like commercial lady. Like you said, it's amazing. And she says, going on about this hot cocoa, you know, moco coca, (laughs) a natural cocoa bean from the upper slopes of Mount Nicaragua, no artificial sweeteners. And it's just like, he, he's breaking even more. Like, who are you talking to? And she's so uh, nervous, but she just wants to get through her line. She's like, I've tasted other sweeteners. This one's the best. And he loses it. <laughs> <laughs> this was this is the ridiculous over the top. Like we see it earlier with the potato peeler and all that stuff. And I'm I'm surprised she didn't like she didn't catch on earlier when he's like, I'll cross my fingers for you. Exactly. You know, like I'm surprised he didn't she didn't like start to go, Hey, Kristoff, like what what's our plan here really you know really yeah like i would have liked i would i almost would have liked to have seen that but we never really saw much of a conversation between the actors and Kristoff um until later on where marlon's got the earpiece you know mm. i mean they all have earpieces but until we see that part but um it's funny this is early early impractical jokers you know where they have an earpiece and they're told what to say as they go because you know there's it's like it's a reality thing but you know, there's a bunch of actors around. So it's, yeah, I, I just, when she, when she gets this part, she's just over the top and I'm like, okay, why, why, if she's going to act this way and be totally flipping out, why didn't they have somebody come sooner if she was going to be totally unable to compose herself? Because she's over the top ridiculous at this point, like already panicked. So... I'm um, guessing his buddy with the beers, whose whose only job is to be the buddy with the beers. I'm, why wasn't he already at the door? I'm guessing it's because they want the moment to play out for television. I mean, later on in this film, yeah. they'll go as far as to almost drown Truman just to keep him contained. So true. How how true. Ex- we don't exactly know how far they were willing to go, but obviously they're not you know willing to go so far as to just let you know. Truman and Merrill, you know, kill each other inside of this kitchen. That's not going to make for good television at all. But the drama well, was of it... He, was he going to... Was he going to... Was he going to slice her? Was he going to dice her or peel her? It, we it, don't really I know. I don't know what was going on through his mind, but I'm, I'm convinced that the reason why these moments are allowed to play out is for the dr- dramatic effect of it. Like... Like oh, an yeah. audience, uh-huh. like an audience sitting at home watching something like this, you know, you're going to be enthralled. Like, like this is, this is a <laughs> moment unlike anything that you've seen on the show up until this point. Like he's having a mental Makes breakdown sense. and they're just, they're playing it up because we'll get into it later, but you know, ratings and sponsors and networks and everything else have to come into play. And this is just, this is, this is television gold for them. Mm-hmm. So they get through that whole thing and she completely ignores the whole situation and he absolutely snaps he jumps out of his chair and she's the one who pulls this knife on him and it's it's amazing 
So he doesn't let this happen. He grabs her and she looks into the camera and finally she screams, do something. And that's when, you know, the buddy with the beers come over. Okay. And, and, and even more, you know, where, where she's finally breaking character, the buddy with the bears walks in the door. She runs to him, you know, jumps in his arms and she's like, oh my God, I can't work under these conditions. It's so unprofessional. And I'm just like, wow. (laughs) Oh, it was ridiculous. Oh, my God. So ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, and I'm not coming down on the actress, but thankfully, this is the last time we see Meryl. She's pretty much written off after this moment. She probably needs a break. Um, Marlon and Truman, they go off. They have some drinks. They have a talk. They're talking about how Truman thinks the whole world revolves around him. Marlon comes back with, you know, some really heartfelt, emotional, emotional type stuff, talking about being best friends. And we copied each other's papers in school. Remember that night we stayed up and we played North Pole in your tent and I caught pneumonia for a month and I was gone. And this is the point where I put in, you know, he probably didn't catch pneumonia. It was probably just them recasting the actor if he was gone for a month. That's my theory, you know, if they're kids. You know what I mean? Like one of those type things. Like if it, you're you're gone for a month on a on a television show, like eh, something else might be going on there, but I might be way off. Um, so we huh. finally cut to the control station, and we see the showrunner, our our our, our buddy Kristoff. He's up there and he's orchestrating everything. He's cueing the music. He's feeding Marlon all of his lines. And the last thing I would ever do is to lie to you and whatever. And it's this big triumphant moment and the orchestra plays and everything oh, else. And it's absolutely ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. ridiculous. And then we get to the point where the line he's saying, the last thing I would ever do is lie to you yeah. as he's lying to him. Exactly. <laughs> as he's lying to him. That's, uh, that's what I meant by, uh, you know, he's just being fed all of these lines and it's, it's okay. Oh, yeah. All right, great. It's so bad. And then it's further it's further reinforced on Truman, you know, his father is reintroduced to the show. And his father is yeah. his father is mic'd up. Mist. His father is mic'd up with a camera and Ed Harris is still up there, you know, being the puppet master and then, you know, you get the big crescendo and you get various people, you know, all watching the show around the world and they're all getting emotional by the moment. And it's just, it's supposed to be like this big epic thing. It's ridiculous. But the the amazing thing is, as they do it, um, they get this hug, they get this, and they're just waiting for this shot. Yeah. And they get it where you see Truman's face and he goes, I love you, dad, or whatever the line was. It was like this big thing. And as soon as it happens, you see Ed Harris, yes. Yes, that's it. Like, they were waiting on it. Yeah. And it's funny because I know this sounds like, yeah, well, whatever. He's doing this thing. It's his craft and blah, blah, blah. When I'm at the church and I'm directing, I get like that with, like, dumb things. Like, oh, they're about to go into a drum solo. Quick, get over by the drums. Here, like, camera one, get over to such and such. Or, you know, like, I get so excited when I nail the shot. When you can nail a, when you can nail a shot during a live production... That's so awesome. So when he got this shot, I was like, okay, I feel for you, Kristoff. Like, I get it. (laughs) Like, I do simple stuff, not this big thing, you know, that he's doing. So I like that they incorporated it into the movie the way they did. Because I I get it. Like, all right, cool. 
I like it. So you know the and and it almost makes you go. Although Kristoff is like you know way out of line with what he's doing, it's like I can respect you know his style. You know I can respect you know what he's doing in the moment, not the decisions he's made in the past, but what he's doing in the moment. I'm like that's pretty cool. And if I was in his in his position, I'd feel like a million bucks at that moment getting a shot like that, hmm. a live shot. You know, because here's the thing is like when you're directing and you're directing something live like that, that's not planned out and totally script, like completely 100% scripted because you don't know how one variable is going to respond, which is the, you know, the non-actor there. Um, <laughs> if you can nail a shot like that, that's awesome. Like that's, that's it. Like that makes your career. <laughs> I so, wonder, I wonder what the whatever. contingency was. Like in a scene like this, like what mm-hmm. if what if Truman just punched him in the face? Well then, like I know, thought, I thought you were dead. Pre- I th- probably a pretty good angle. <laughs> I thought you were dead. You lied to me and just punched him in the face and walked away. Like what does Kristoff do then? <laughs> like he was this big emotional well, moment. What happens? Then he rolls with it. <laughs> I guess so. That would... he'd have to. He's rolled with everything else. I mean, we'll get more into how he rolls later. Sure, we will. But anyways, so. We're back up in, in, in this moon control room, and they're all, you know, the producers are all up there, and they're all congratulating each other. I find it really funny that there is a couple of uh, security people who are wearing Love Him, Protect Him t-shirts on. Yeah, I saw that. That's weird. It's very odd. Love Him, Protect Him. I was like, okay. All right. Okay. So, anyways, um, Truman is back at home, and he's drinking his cocoa, and it's just an advert, because you see the <laughs> advert underneath um, underneath the profile of his face. And then we get, you know, this ridiculous narration from this way-over-the-top voice actor. 1.7 billion people were there at his birth. 220 countries tuned in for his first step. The world stood still for the kiss that was stolen, and we get that shot of him and Lauren. And it's just, really? Really? And it's like, they're, they're right. going on and on about, like, how this is broadcasted live and unedited 24 hours a day, seven days a week to an audience around the globe. The largest studio ever constructed and visible from space. It's okay. This was, this is a serious, serious like production going on here. Like you don't realize it's that big until like now, like when I first saw this movie, I thought it was just like a town that they were trying to keep him contained in. I didn't know it was a dome. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, when I first saw it, like, <laughs> yeah. you don't realize it's a dome until, like, okay, wow. Okay, sure. Um, yeah. And now, and... This is, this is full-on, this is full-on WandaVision hex. Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> but it's, yes, pretty much. Um, and they're gonna go live to the Lunar Control Room for an interview with Kristoff. This interview... <laughs> This interview, Kristoff comes off as one one pretentious jerk. I, 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 I have to say that. My God, he is so full of himself. Um, so the interview starts off with talking about his father, and they're talking about, you know, how people get onto set who don't really belong there. And we get just, we get the visual. <laughs> the Christmas, the Christmas we get, guy. Yeah, exactly. We get a visual of a guy jumping out of a Christmas present, and he's just overjoyed that he made it onto the show. Then we get another visual of a guy parachuting onto the set, which really confused me because you just got through a couple of minutes ago telling me that this was a dome and I'm supposed to believe that a guy was able Uh, to parachute within this dome. Like, how does that make any sense? 
right? How does that make that? It makes absolutely no I, sense. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I thought maybe he climbed up the dome and found a hole in the top and then like came down through it. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. That's that was the only thing I could come up with. <laughs> like a. Hmm. Oh, like um. Well, no. You ever see the Simpsons movie? Yeah, that's the first thing I thought. Yeah, okay, of. That's good. How they threw that's the bomb the, okay, out. that's kind of yeah. that's kind of what I was thinking too. But I was like, I guess that makes sense. Sure. Um, and I started talking about, but you know, people have gone on to set, but his father was something completely different. And you know, we get a, a shot of Truman as a child climbing some rocks at the beach. His father yells like very angrily, "Stop!" And everybody on the beach just stops what they're doing and. And just attention is on Truman. Like everybody on this beach is just like fixated on what's going on. And you can just hear right. like, you can hear like a construction team on the other side of a bunch of rocks. Like they were, there's just, they're constructing the set in the background. It's ridiculous. It's what's funny. I'm surprised they didn't show it though. I thought they did when I first saw it before. To be honest with you, I'm not, like they showed people on the other side of the rocks, but they didn't. I'm not surprised in that at all. Um, just like I'm not surprised with, you know, um, Meryl, you know, having kind of an off camera conversation with um, with Kristoff because it, it would break the submersion of the show for the viewer if they did something like that. Like the way that I like, suppose, like, like the they way already, they already broke it with the the green room, people eating snacks in the back. The, the thing is, it would have made sense that they would have. I don't. I think the you know Meryl having a conversation. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I th- you know it shouldn't be there. I like. Okay, got it. I like the but, way. I like but the little things like that would have made would have fit into it pretty well. I like the way it's done better because the only the only real people that you see, with the exception of Truman, are people on the outside who are actually watching the show. You're not supposed to see yeah. anything real going on that would you know break the experience on the inside, and I like that. It's oh, like Meryl and her her bad acting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's not real. No, it was her real bad acting. Well, I mean, she was <laughs> hired to play a part, and she did what she had to do, and she did it to the best of her ability. Mm-hmm. You know, she mm-hmm. she wasn't breaking character, man. Anyways, I know. So we get through that whole thing. Construction going on in the background with the rocks, and um, they get into this whole thing about as 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 Truman grew up, they had to manufacture more ways to keep him on the island. You know, he wanted to explore as he was a child and, you know, his teacher was like, oh, I'm sorry, you're too late. Everything's been discovered. He tries to get onto a dock to get on a boat and go somewhere. And there's this angry Rottweiler, you know, keeping him away from all of that. And it's just it's ridiculous the length that they're going to to keep him where he's at, even from even from that young age. And it's it, that explanation kind of ends abruptly. They take a call from the guy we alluded to this earlier, who was asking, you know, how many cameras are in the park? And he says 5,000. Um, and Christoph makes it, makes it a point to say, well, we started with just one and it was the one camera that was in the womb. You know, yeah. With, with ridiculous. <laughs> so, so here's my thought. There's this woman, right. Who can't, Who's like, I can't have a baby. Like, I can't, <clears throat> I'm, I'm unfit to, to raise a child. Yes. Um, and she's one of how many? Five. Ten others? Five. Or something? Was it five? Five. Okay. He's competing five. with five other unwanted pregnancies. That's th- those are Christoph's words. Okay. <laughs> so, so here's, here's the, we have an unwanted pregnancy, but yet this woman was okay with them putting a camera <laughs> inside of their body. 
Sorry, I don't believe this. Neither do I. <laughs> I don't believe it at all. No, no, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Oh my god. It makes god. no sense. Oh my god. And then we get um we get to some real stuff here where Oh, they probably got paid a lot of money. Oh my god. They probably got oh paid. Oh my god. When you find out well, we get into that a little bit. We find out that Truman is the first child to be adopted by a corporation. Which is disgusting in a whole bunch of different ways. And we also find out right. that this show generates enough money to, to pretty much finance a small country. There's the thing. Yeah. How much, like, we never get a definitive amount of how much this show makes, but the, the, the price, it must be astronomical. Like, there must be billions, oh, yeah. easily billions of dollars that are, that, that, that's riding on you know, the Truman Show as, a, as an entity. It has to be huge. Mm -hmm. I can't even begin to imagine. Especially when you find out that they're airing no commercials. Everything on set is for sale. The, 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 the clothing that the actors wear, the products that they're showcasing, even the houses. And we see this little girl playing with, like, the house, like a, like a dollhouse. Doll oh, my yeah. God. And <laughs> everything can be ordered through the Truman catalog. <laughs> this is... This is this is marketing genius. This is great. This is a license well, to never print mind money. The fact that they have th there's a bar. We see these people who are working in a, at the Truman Bar. Yeah, it's a it's a bar yeah. that focuses on just watching the Truman Show yep. all the time and hanging out, drinking and and watching the Truman know, Show, watching the Truman Show, watching the Truman Show. Which <laughs> I'm I'm really confused about how this bar works because we see these two waitresses at the bar a couple of different times. They're not serving drinks. They're just watching TV. So how's everybody getting their drinks? I don't know. Anyways, um, yeah, I don't know. But you, you, it, it's funny is you got this woman, uh, Olan Jones. I, I, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but I, I see her, and all I think of, I mean, I think of, of a couple other things. Edward Scissorhands. She was the crazy Christian lady who was like, "They're all gonna burn in hell." <laughs> <laughs> and then, and she was also, um, she was in Mars Attacks as well. Uh, but that's it, it's just funny to see her because she looks exactly the same as like everything else she's ever been in. <laughs> like nothing ever changed. She's the same same person. But that's what I kept thinking of when I saw her in this. I'm like, okay, weird world. We don't know what's going on. Here she is. Okay, all right, I get it. And, and Paul Giamatti, who's who's actually a fantastic actor, is in this as just another side character because everything he's done up until like 2000, he's always been a side character. And you're like, oh, it's that guy. With the eyes. Okay, it's him. That guy with you know? the eyes. <laughs> I mean, he's been in a bunch of stuff now. Sure. But, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Um, <laughs> we get a little bit more information from Kristoff. Um, his reasoning behind everything that's going on is actually really bizarre. He says that Truman hasn't discovered the truth about his reality because he just accepts his reality for what it is. And he basically just leaves it at that. Like, there's no further explanation behind why he thinks what he thinks. And it's just like, he's, Christoph is really a man who's living inside of his own head. Like, wow. Okay. Um, Sylvia, she's the next caller. And she calls Christoph a liar and a manipulator. And he's a sick person for what he's done to Truman. And mm -hmm. it's really, she's really, she's 
surrounded by these free Truman posters and saying no to Truman show. And she's so far with the exception of the guy who actually felt bad, who was driving the bus. She's the first sane person that we've met. Like this is okay. Great. Like everybody else that we've met so far is just kind of glorifying that this man is basically a slave without knowing it. And she's the only one who's like, no, he should be a free person. Let him go. What are you doing? And it's great. Um, they have kind of a, an awkward back and forth and he's just, he's justifying everything that he's doing and how he built the safe world. And oh my God, he feels like he's given Truman a better life than what he would have in the real world because in the real world is the sickness. And it's just like, really like you're so, and this is why I think like, he's not, he's not protecting his position in life. He's not trying to secure himself, you know, financially or, or doing anything for any kind of monetary gain. He's just an artist in love with his art. That's 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 mm. what he is through and through. So whatever. Yeah. Yep. Um, the call has ended, and the interviewer, you know, kind of in, in so many words, asks, you know, what's going to be happening next. And now that Truman's father is back in the picture, maybe this, maybe this episode of Truman's can kind of be put behind him. And, you know, Christoph says, well, pretty soon his wife is going to be leaving him and a new love interest will arise. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And here you go. So, yeah, Ed Harris uh, goes on. He's just getting ready for bed or whatever. And he just watches Truman as he sleeps. And he's just he's infatuated in, in, in just admiring, you know, the work that he's done. And it's so absolutely ridiculous. The next morning, uh, Truman is playing in the mirror again. He's playing Spaceman, and he declares this land Trumania of the Burbank Galaxy. And he gives a little wink and a smile into the mirror, and he says, that one was for free. And this is the moment. Like, he knows. He knows what's going on. He knows exactly what he's going to do. At least I believe that. Like, 100%. Like, he's, he's figured it all out, and he's decided that he's out. Yeah. Um, we're kind of back to the, you know, the hustle and bustle of everything that's going on in the, you know, the town square or whatever. Um, the family next door, you know, that he greets every morning. They say his catchphrase this <laughs> time, which is good evening, uh, good afternoon, good evening and good night. Like all of them. And they all like yeah. give that little laugh and a smile and, you know, whatever. We're back to the, you know, the product placement twins. And this time it's about, you know, uh, Carlton Colonial Homes. Um, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Truman is back inside of his office. He's selling insurance. And then he meets Vivian, who I, I, I suppose is, you know, the next actress that was hired to be kind of his his new love interest on the show. Love interest. Yeah, yep. exactly. Um, That's not really going to happen. She's not going to really get the chance to talk to him at all. Um, Everything is great. Nope. And, and back tomorrow, back tomorrow, back to normal on the surface. <laughs> Later that right. night, though, Kristoff, uh, you know, is walking by one of the monitors and he's really curious about what's going on in Truman's basement. And Truman is sleeping underneath some blankets, but it's, it, it, <laughs> it, 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 it it's bugging Christoph. It's getting under his, it's getting under <laughs> his skin a little bit that, you know, he can't see him. It's kind of weird that Why I, is he in the basement. What's he doing? I can't see him. He's been, what's he's going been down on there since Merrill left. Yeah. So, right. They rewind the tape. Well, first they call him, they call him and there's no answer. And then they go to the tape and they start rewinding it. 
and they notice that his hand is like underneath a chair and it shouldn't be underneath a chair or whatever. Um, so he sends Marlon over with some beers and it's going to be a surprise party and Truman isn't there because Frosty the Snowman is sleeping in his place. Truman has successfully <laughs> escaped this whole thing. And this is yep. where you find, this is where you find the closet with the ladder that leads out to the lawn. And I, I, I'm sorry, <laughs> I still kind of believe that he's been trying to dig himself out of here for a while to just kind of escape without being detected or, 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 or whatever, for whatever reasons that he has. Um, yeah. Right. So I don't think it was very long. I, I think it was maybe his second his second attempt. You know, like maybe twice he did it. But the thing is, he needed to have an opportunity where he was down there long enough where they wouldn't suspect. And with him pretending to sleep and throwing obstructions there, you know, and then nobody came, nobody showed up. He's like, well, obviously they don't care that I'm in this closet. So he's like, okay, here I go. <laughs> you know, I, I just think that he would have had to have multiple times where nobody knew her, where he was. You know? Um, right. So Marlon, you know, so, sees this, yeah. gets up there, and he's looking around. He finds one of the hidden cameras in the lawn and just, you know, tries to whisper, he's gone. And they cut transmission. You get the viewers <laughs> of the show freaking out. The moon control room is all in pandemonium. The moon turns into a giant searchlight. And giant spotlight. The, a giant, a <laughs> massive searchlight. And the town, oh. the town comes together, and they're searching for Truman, arm in arm. Yep. Even they do, they do a, a total, total search and rescue, yep. arm in arm, trying to sweep everything. Even, yeah. even the friendly, <laughs> even the friendly dog, like the neighbor's dog, is just looking vicious. Like we have to find him. Like he's barking and growling. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, that dog was totally vicious. That dog was getting ready to bite. Oh, man, man, here we go. <laughs> Kristoff, in his infinite wisdom, decides that more light is needed and he cues for the sun. Now, we don't exactly yeah. know what time it is, but we know it's like the middle of the night. So if, if there was any doubt, <laughs> any doubt at all <laughs> in, in Truman's mind about what's going on and what he's doing, this is it. This is it. Like maybe he's maybe when he's out on the water. Well, he already on, knew at this point. He, he knows at this yeah. point. But I'm saying at this point, all doubt is gone. Like whatever time it is, two, three o'clock in the morning. All of a sudden the sun rises like this. OK. All right. I get it now. So <laughs> it's great. It's absolutely great. Um, Christoph is, you know, up there in the moon tower, the moon tower, the moon room and he got some suits near him talking about how networks aren't happy and what are we doing here and something got to be figured out. And Christoph is like, why? We're getting better ratings with a technical difficulty, you know, graphic than we ever had before, which is amazing. Um, they begin right. to scan the sea and they finally found Truman. He's on his sailboat and he's sailing away. He's just done. They resume transition. I find it hilarious that the bartender at the Truman bar says he has two to one, says the Truman won't make it. This is, this is, this is amazing. This is amazing. <laughs> He's finished his little makeshift photo of Sylvia and Kristoff is not going to let Truman go without a fight. And suddenly a lightning storm comes along and strikes that sailboat a couple of different, a couple of times. And wow. Like he's, Truman is very determined to, uh, to get away from all of oh, this. Yeah. Well, they go through this whole thing where, you know, there's the storm's getting bad. 
bring in like the worst wave we can yeah. and like just capsize the dang boat. Yep. You know, he's he's at this point, he's like, well, you know what? And he's thinking, he's like, we need to make it dramatic. If we're going to end it, it needs to be dramatic, you know? So he's just like, if, if he dies, he dies, you know? It's like, what was it? Like, you could kill him. He goes, well, you can't, you can't have a, um, what did they say? Like, you can't have a live murder on TV. He's like, we had a live birth. Yeah, pretty like, much. That's his reasoning. <laughs> it's like, yeah. He's like, we started him here. We can end him here. So, you know, that's the whole thing. It's like, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. <laughs> you know? Pretty much. It's just, he's really just like, I'm your father. I'm, I'm the creator. And I mean, he gets that line later on. I'm just like, what a jerk the way he's just so pretentious and such a whatever. But I mean, anyway, yeah, they go ahead. The, the waves are coming in. The boat capsizes. He's halfway underneath it. You know, the boat's like on its side. He's tied to the boat. And then the boat comes. He's like, he, Christoph's just like, all right, end it, whatever. Boat rights itself, and there's Truman coughing up the water, and he's like, good to go. And he just goes back on with his day. He's like, yeah. I mean, it's funny, because when he's out there, he goes all Lieutenant Dan, you know? You're going to have to kill me. (laughs) You're going to have to kill me. Like, totally just like, I'm like, come on. He's totally Lieutenant Danning it here, you know? And this this whole thing happens. And um, as, as it goes on, he just, he gets up. You know, the, the sun's in his face and the wind's blowing his hair dry and everything. And he's like, I'm just going to keep on going, you know, and he just keeps on going. But at this point, he's got hope in his eyes and you see it. He's got hope that he's actually moving towards it. He's like, I got through this. I got through everything else. I'm going to make it now. I got this until he hits. A and wall. he goes and they do. But the way he the way they do it, it's funny because I've seen it so many times. and It's my favorite part because, again, every time I saw it, it was like the end of the movie. So I've seen this scene like. 50 times and I love it because every time I see him going on the water I'm waiting for it to see like when's the shadow gonna show up on the wall when's it gonna happen <laughs> yeah. here like how far does he go through the wall like I want to see wh- like how bad was the impact because I can just imagine you're you just you know coasting through not thinking a thing and then suddenly you hit a wall and you're like what like are you kidding me my <laughs> like the front of my boat just went through a wall Okay, so, and that's when you realize like everything is a joke. Everything's everything. Like, you a lie. see it. Everything about you see it. You see the end. You see the end of your fabricated world. So, like before, when you were talking about um, when you were talking about Marlon, you know, in the in the you know the vending machine, stalking everything, and how the shots really yeah. didn't line up. This is a small little uh-huh. thing that I always notice about this movie. So he's he hits the wall and he starts banging on the wall. Jim Carrey actually dents the wall in one spot and kind of realizes it and then starts taking it softer as he's beating on it. Like, it was plainly obvious, like, this was a mistake. And it's really weird that they left that in the movie because it's so (laughs) obvious that they, like, his fist left this big dent in this drywall that they just kind of painted over. And it's like, oh, he he hit it a little bit too hard. And then he noticeably, like, takes it easy, like, with the rest of everything. It's, it's, I thought it was, you know... Geeks like hmm. geeks like us would well, see, notice I, things I was, like when that. When I watched but... it this time, I was thinking about that too. Where it, it almost looks like it almost looks like it's concrete, but I'm like, but it can't be it's because the boat just went through. It is it's no completely drywall. It's, it's just it's drywall with nothing on the other side. Well, but here's my thing. Okay, if they're creating waves and having like storms and all this stuff and weather, drywall's not going to hold up to it. Like over time, that drywall would look pretty bad with it being you know, exposed to what seems like natural weather issues. I'm guessing that's why... You know, because why, that water went right up to that wall. I'm guessing... Well, I'm guessing that's why 
they stopped with, you know, the winds and storms and everything so that it wouldn't damage this wall. I'm guessing that's why they just decided, you know what, just in case we uh we need all this all this stuff, let's uh let's stop everything right now so we don't damage all of the um <laughs> all of the materials. Let's Okay. Sure. Yeah, I suppose. It's I mean it's 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 as good as theory as anything. Um We get to the we get to the end where, you know, Truman makes it to a set of stairs a door with an exit side on it, and Kristoff decides to speak to him. And this is where Truman learns everything. He learns that Kristoff is, is the creator of a television show and Truman's a star. And Truman and Kristoff makes the mistake in thinking that Truman is just too afraid to leave this this makeshift well, this fake world behind. And um This whole thing is ridiculous to me. Okay, so he says first of all, he starts off and he goes who are you? And it sounds like God, like he's speaking through the clouds as like a ray of sunshine. And you're like, okay. And he's like, he says to you, he's like, I'm the creator of a TV show. Like that, that pause. I'm like, dude, like he thinks he's God right off the bat. I'm the creator of a TV show. Like, really? <laughs> it just goes back to his, like how, how pretentious he is. You know, and into himself, it's it, it makes me laugh every time I hear it. Like last night, or was it last night? A couple nights ago, whenever we watched it again, both my wife and I were laughing. It's like I'm the creator, and of a cre- of a TV show. It's just that that space, that gap, is ridiculous. But as you were getting into it, there, for, listen, why, why in anybody's sense? Would anyone think that it makes sense? Like, did, why would Kristoff think at all that Truman would say, yes, you're right. I'm going to live my life with all these actors who are paid to act around me. There's a 1% chance that he would, he would go back to it. Right? I think it's just, I think it's just Kristoff. Not understanding exactly. He's out of ideas. No, I th- no, I think it's Kristoff <laughs> not understanding who Truman is, because he even says, <clears throat> Kristoff says, "I know you better than you know yourself." And Truman says, "You've never had a camera in my head." So he really doesn't know him at all. It's just, it's just one of those things. And Kristoff is making the mistake in thinking that Truman is just too afraid to 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 live any kind of life on the outside, and he's absolutely dead wrong. And in perfect classic fashion. You know, Truman turns to the camera, says, if in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, gives a bow and makes his exit. A bow. <laughs> his bow is priceless. It's though. amazing. I love it. His exit the is The fact that incredible. he bows to everybody yeah. is like, hey, I've been your entertainment for the past 30 something years. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Have a good one. And, you know, we see various people who are watching the show. Some are celebrating, some are crying. It's a whole thing. Sylvia runs out of her apartment, I'm guessing to go find him, cut transmission, and the movie is over. Except for the two dudes who are, you know, back in the parking lot just wondering what else is on. And that's it. Yep. This movie is amazing. This movie through and through from top to bottom <laughs> is absolutely incredible. Um, I feel like I feel like this is one of those movies that doesn't get talked about enough. Like it's like it's like it's a movie in Jim Carrey's filmography that any Jim Carrey fan should watch, even if you just like him for, you know, his 90s, you know, over the top physical comedy stuff. This is something that should be visited if you're a Jim Carrey fan. And this is this is mm-hmm. incredible for me. This is 
Yeah. Uh, this isn't this isn't as good as Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but it's still right. a, it's still a great movie and it's it's worth a watch. It's absolutely worth a well, watch. Which, so one person we didn't really talk about here is and, and it's funny because, again, as my wife and I were watching this, like, we, we watch movies and we've seen them so many times, we just start making fun of things. It's what we do. And, you know, again, there's that, you know, Olan Jones character. We're like, oh, remember her when she was the crazy person <laughs> in Edward Scissorhands? But you got this character played by uh, Terry Camilleri, who's the man in the bathtub. So Terry Camilleri, he played um, Napoleon in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So you don't really know him from like anything else. This guy's um, from Malta, so there's not much like I haven't seen him act in anything, many other things. But he plays the man in the bathtub. This man, every time you see him, he's in a bathtub. So I started questioning, and I want to look it up at some point. I wish I looked it up before this. How long, you know, is it is it medically okay for you to be soaking in water before your body starts to fall apart? We're not, we're not meant to be in water. We're humans. You know, our bodies are not made to be like that. This guy is an amphibian. <laughs> he spends the entire time of his life, <laughs> it seems, in a bathtub. Now, people, I've seen people who spend most of their time in bars. Okay, I can understand that. But this guy has not left the bathtub <laughs> in at least a week. <laughs> he defies medical science, I guess. I don't know. Yes, maybe he's he just does. maybe this he, is just uh, his nightly. He was ritual. great when when he was hit, when 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 the whole when when the boat was capsizing and he's over there <laughs> grabbing onto a shower curtain. <laughs> Hang on! <laughs> I thought he was great. I love when it was hilarious. I love when I love when Truman makes his exit and you cut to him and he's just angry that the show is over and he starts slapping the water. No, he wasn't angry. He was he he was. Um, he I was, thought he was angry, he but was he upset. was actually excited. He was upset that his show was over. Like, now what is he going to do? He was upset the show—watch mm, it again. Because he was upset that it was done, but he was also really excited to see a happy ending. Eh. Everybody else was happy. So I, I watched it again and saw it differently this time. I, I, th- I feel like every time I watch the movie, I see certain things like the opposite of what I saw the last time. So, yeah, I'll, I'll urge you to check it again, because for some reason I saw it the other way this time. Expecting him to be mad, but he wasn't. He was slapping the water, but it was more like a celebration. Sure. But anyway, that is that. That is that. So um, no. So my 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 thing is, I I I do love this movie. I think it's great. Um, I'm glad that you know I've got it. I still have it on DVD, <laughs> you know, and can watch it other places as well. Um, and I'm definitely not. Um, I mean, we've been talking about the movie, this movie for a while. We've we've talked about quite a few. This and Eternal Sunshine um, have been on our list of movies that we'd love to talk about at some point, and I'm glad we finally did. Yeah. You know, we've been doing this podcast for a couple of years now, and we finally got to the point of talking to talk about one of the ones we've we've had on our list forever. I'm I'm still surprised that it took this long for us to get to it. We put other things ahead of us, but I guess with COVID and you know not much coming out. For a big chunk, you know, of a year and a half or so, you know, it just made sense we'd finally get around to these things that aren't new. Right. Yeah. Agreed. So. No, I are. echo that. I'm, I'm glad we got to this one. I'm glad we got out of the way. Um, it, it, It's not the last time that I'm going to watch this movie either. This is this is one of those movies that I will continuously revisit 
once every, you know, few years or whatever. I've, you know, it, it's, it's in my list. It's, it's definitely on my list of rotating movies that I watch constantly. But, um, I'm done with this one. You done? Is it over? Um, I'm all done. Okay, we're mm-hmm. all done. Well, that was it. Have a good one, everybody. Yep, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs>